Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. constant listeners and welcome to another episode of the losers club i'm your host jen to the rage adams and we have an exciting episode for you today all month we've been talking about the man the myth the legend richard bachman we've covered blaze the final bachman book we dug deep into the bachman lore with our first ever primer episode and today we are ranking each of the seven bachman books I feel like I am the perfect person to host this episode because until I manifested in Chicago for a creep show festival last year, I may not have been real and y'all could have just been talking <laughs> to an AI podcaster. So, but I am real. Um, and I'm not alone. I am joined by three definitely real losers to help me walk through all of the Bachman texts. Uh, Justin, say hello and tell us your first experience with Richard Bachman. Hey, this is Justin Mary Westmacott Gerber. My first experience with Richard Bachman was uh, via my mom's living room bookshelf Hmm. because she had a, what I'm assuming was a first edition hardcover of Thinner. And so I would just always see that cover with the red, you know, handprint, you know, on it. And it always intrigued me for many, many years. And it ended up being the first Bachman book I read a few years later. So that was the that was the one. Interesting. Well, and that is one that we are definitely going to be talking about because we are talking about all the Bachman books today. Um, but before we do, joining us from uh, probably somewhere around Midworld, uh, Flieger, say hello and tell us the first Bachman book you remember reading. This is Dave Nomdeplume Peters, <laughs> aka <laughs> Dan Flieger. Um, the first exposure for me was actually seeing the movie theater growing uh-huh. up. Um, but I do know the exact book Justin's talking about because I found the hardcover of Thinner recently in one of those neighborhood libraries, which was a great mm. find. Um, but I think my first actual Bachman book that I read was The Regulators. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. Definitely going to be talking about that one too. Yeah, lots of thoughts. Um, And also before we get too far down, we want to just let you know, Flieger is having a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. So if he drops off, he he did not suddenly become unreal. And, it's tough here in mid-world, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just so you know, but I've got your ranking. So um, that we're going to be fine. But, you know, just in case. 
will just keep trucking on. Um, speaking of trucking on, digging himself out of the stacks after all of that amazing primer research, Randall, say hello and tell us your intro to Richard Bachman. Hello, it's uh, rocking Randall Barton Dawes. <laughs> I Ooh. forgot his name for a second. Oh, yeah. And I, was like, I, I remembered Barton Dawes, but I forgot George, I believe, is the first name, right? I thought you were going to say Rock and Bachman. That I was thinking about that, too, but then I, I swerved to do road work. I should have stuck with oh, yeah. Rock and Bachman. Okay, I'm Lost Rock and character. Bachman, Randall. And uh, yeah, I talked about this a bit on our primer, but yeah, my first Bachman experience was being on vacation on the Jersey Shore and buying the Bachman books at some little bookstore uh, on the boardwalk. And because I had already read the books I brought with me because I was a big nerd and I like to lay on the beach and read instead of picking up chicks. Um, So, yeah. So I think Rage was the first one I ever read. And uh, yeah, read them in that. I think I've read them in that order. Although I probably read Regulators before uh, Thinner. I feel like I got to Thinner really late. Are you telling me that you were on the, the, the beach reading Rage and I didn't draw all the babes? <laughs> I was absolutely on the beach reading Rage and uh, no babes to speak oh, of. Oh, man. Did you get it at Snooky's bookstore? Oh, man. Yeah, oh, I bought God. it at Snooky's Snooky's books. <laughs> Snook books. <laughs> bookies. Snooky's oh, <laughs> bookies. Bookies, Snooky's. <laughs> and saltwater taffy here. Oh, man. Oh, hey. Reading time. T- TM. I want to just say, cause... I think I was probably like four, 13 or 14 around that time. So I really liked Rage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And that's the first one in the Bachman Books collection, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Rage. It's in chronological order of publication, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the first one that I read, but it was probably the, it was either The Long Walk or Rage. I think The Long Walk was the one that I'd heard of, but Rage is, like I just said, the first one in the book. But it was just another one that I grew up seeing on my dad's bookshelf next to it, Salem's Lot in the Dark Half. And that's the um, the Bachman Books collection, the the paperback, which um, has not fallen asleep or fallen apart from over reading like my copies of The Stand and It, you know, <laughs> but mostly because I You're like telling me you didn't read Roadwork a Three couple times. dozen times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I read it till it fell apart and I just had to get another used copy of it. Yeah. Um, I have read them all, though, so it technically counts. Um, But before we get into our rankings, we want to talk about the man himself. Um, Not too much, though. Randall and I did an exhaustive primer episode walking through the chronology of his life, in quotation marks, publication, and the circumstances that led to him being revealed as Stephen King in disguise all along, like three Stephen Kings in a big, big overcoat, you know. Um, So make sure to check that out if you haven't already. It was really fun. But let's remind ourselves how King himself feels about his pseudonym and how that's changed over the years. So the first thing we're going to talk about is who is Bachman? And I pulled a couple of quotes. Um, One is from The Importance of Being Bachman, which, Randall, what is that an intro to? Do you remember? The Importance of Being Bachman was from the 96 edition of, of, the, Bachman of books. the Bachman books. And then I believe Why I Was Bachman is the one that was released with the 85 edition. Okay. And The Importance of Being Bachman is the one where he completely spoils the ending of um, The Running Man, right? Where he talks about... Yes, I think so. I can't I was, remember. Yeah. I was just listening to uh, The Running Man and they have that at the beginning of that, which is an interesting one to put at the beginning. But yeah, he's completely spoils the ending tells you exactly what's <laughs> happening 
Um, but you know, I guess there it's an older book. All right. So this is what King writes. At any rate, Richard Bachman began his career not as a delusion, but as a sheltered place where I could publish a few early books, which I felt readers might like. Then he began to grow and come alive as the creatures of a writer's imagination so frequently do. I began to imagine his life as a dairy farmer, his wife, the beautiful Claudia Inez Bachman, his solitary New Hampshire morning spent milking the cows, getting in the wood, and thinking about his stories, his evening spent writing these stories, always with a glass of whiskey beside his Olivetti typewriter. And then we also talked about the article that officially revealed that King is Bachman. It was called From Stephen King Shining Through, and that is Stephen with a V, which very bizarre. Yeah, very bizarre. Yeah, very, very strange. Um, Washington Post copy editor sleep at the wheel. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like he's a best selling author or anything, you know. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to put off that it was Stephen PH for as long as possible. So like, <laughs> no, were... actually it's a pseudonym for this Stephen King. Right, right, right. It's like it's like his mustachioed brother, you yeah. know, is Stephen with a V. All right. So King, this was in an interview, and we'll just we describe a lot of the details of that in our primer episode, but King told Stephen P. Brown, who was the one who discovered this, I never thought much about working at keeping Bachman a secret. I didn't have to. But when Thinner came out, it was like carrying your groceries home in a shopping bag in the rain. Gradually, the bag softens. It begins to tear. Things start falling out, which I just love the imagery of that. And then one more from the importance of being Bachman. King writes, the good folks mostly win. Courage usually triumphs over fear. The family dog hardly ever contracts rabies. These are things I knew at 25 and things I still know now at the age of almost 25 times two. But I know something else as well. There's a place in most of us where rain is pretty much constant. The shadows are always long and the woods are full of monsters. It is good to have a voice in which the terrors of such a place can be articulated and its geography partially described without denying the sunshine and clarity that fills so much of our ordinary lives. For me, Bachman is that voice. In Thinner, he spoke for the first time on his own. It was the only one of the early Bachman novels that had his name on the first draft instead of mine, and it struck me as really unfair that he should have been mistaken for me. And a mistake was just what it felt like, because by then, Bachman had become a kind of id for me. He said the things I couldn't, and the thought of him out there on his New Hampshire dairy farm, not a best-selling writer who got his name in some stupid Forbes list of entertainers too rich for their own good, of his face on the Today Show, or doing cameos in movies, quietly writing his books, gave him leap to think in ways I could not think, and speak in ways I could not speak. And then these news stories came out saying Bachman is really king, and there was no one, not even me, to defend the dead man or to point out the obvious. The king was also really Bachman, at least some of the time. So in our primer episode, we wrote, we, uh, Randall really dug into a lot of uh, really fascinating um, articles and introductions. And we talked a lot about how King felt about Bachman. And we kind of held ourselves back from talking about how we felt because we knew we were going to do this episode. And that's what we're going to do right now. So the next thing I want to talk about is who do we think Richard Bachman is? And when we think of a Bachman book, what do we think? What do we mean by that? And Randall, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah, I can start or I don't know. Justin, why don't you start? Because I'm going to babble for a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the opening act here. Um, I think, and Randall, we talked about this a little bit off pod, but when I, when I was really trying to break down what a Bachman book is, for me, a true Bachman book is everything from rage to thinner. I think that the regulators and even Blaze are kind of in their own category when it comes to Bachman. Mm -hmm. And so for me, 
I mean, if you look at the if you look at those first five Bachman books, I think there's a total lack of sympathy, or at least there's a total lack of sympathetic leads mm-hmm. in those books. Whereas I do feel like with your Ben Mears and characters like that from the 70s, Johnny Smiths, there's a, a huge amount of sympathy you've got for those characters and what they're going through throughout. But I feel like it might be deliberately missing in characters such as Charlie and Rage, the great Barton, George Dawes, and Roadwork, <laughs> and even even thinner for that matter. Maybe the, maybe the outlier is The Long Walk, but that's also a pretty complicated book overall, in my opinion, yeah. so... Flieger, what about you? Um, I would say it's almost like an hourglass personified, especially his mm. earlier ones, mm-hmm. because there's always a countdown of sorts, huh. right? For the long walk, that's pretty clear. It's who's going to keep going. The running uh-huh. man, thinner, he's losing weight. There always seems to be uh, a race against time, in the, especially in the earlier novels, Interesting. Um, which is a mm. pattern I was starting to notice. And I'm sure you can make the argument most narrative fiction has to have some kind of stakes. But it truly is the temporal like, race going on. Um, and I would also call them Twitter drafts, some of these novels. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm happy that some of these aren't the official Stephen King uh, signature on them. Because mm-hmm. they, they often feel incomplete to me or that they would exist better as short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh. about a lot of anger and uh, detachment and kind of I, I like King describing it as an id because it does seem to be kind of like more of an outlet than an actual person you know yeah Randall what do you think I think King is kind of full of shit when he talks about <laughs> Bachman um this mm. is sort of I've been turning this over over the last month especially rereading uh road work which I hadn't reread for the podcast I wasn't on that up and then I hadn't read since I was a kid very illuminating read We'll talk more about it later, but <laughs> oh, I'll yeah. just say, I'll just say that like, I think having done a lot of the deep dives we've done specifically Jen and I in our archive series into who King was in college, what he was, uh, what his mindset was like, what, and, you know, even going to Justin and Jen, we went to Bangor and we learned, we got to kind of see where he lived before he had his big moments of success. We saw like the Dunkin' Donuts where Tabitha used to work at, you know, we saw, we caught a glimpse of the life he lived before um, he was King. And the only books that I would really call Bachman books, like, see, I'd even take Thinner out of there. I'd say it's the Mm. first four and that's it. And for me, those were all written when he was younger. He was in his 20s, not as successful. Uh, Not yet. I mean, obviously, he had a lot of success very quickly, but he did have some years where he was struggling. I mean, even after he sold Carrie and when Carrie was in theaters, he still didn't get a ton of money right away all that came later like um we learned a little bit about the deal he had with Doubleday when Carrie got published and yeah there was like a big money advance but he didn't get a lot of it right mm-hmm. away it took time so I think that that class struggle is a big part of those first four books because it feeds into a lot of what people say when they talk about King which is Bachman represents colder darker He's not a very nice guy. The leads are not very sympathetic. And, you know, I think King uses the phrase, um, like, what is it? Like a uh, simmering rage and despair mm-hmm. is the phrase, phrase he uses. 
the way I kind of always thought about Bachman, I think, was derived from the way King talked about him, especially in that second intro, the, the importance of being Bachman, which is mm-hmm. what you were just reading, Jen, which is this idea of, uh, oh, he could say the things he didn't want. He couldn't elsewhere with Bachman and so on. But I don't know. I think that he is reckoning with when he talks about Bachman in that way, and this whole weird fantasy about the guy who raises chickens and lives on a farm, I think it's a nice idea, but it doesn't really suit the material, mm-hmm. um, ultimately. And this is something I've only really been thinking about over the last couple of weeks, which is that what these books are, the first four specifically, is they're angry. Like, that's another word that pops up, they're angry. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's accurate. But... You know, Justin, you said that these leads aren't very sympathetic, and I agree with you, but I think King wrote them to be sympathetic, oh, and that, I think, is what marks the difference here. I don't think in Thinner that's the case. I think mm. in Thinner he knew what he was writing, and that mm-hmm. was his attempt to make it a Bachman book, although I still think it is very much a Stephen King book. It just it just feels like a short story, because he allows, in his short stories, he allows his characters to be assholes. It's in yeah. his novels where he usually doesn't yeah. allow that. Mm-hmm. But in Thinner, he allows them to be assholes. Yeah. I think and that I think class struggle the... is correct, Randall, too, in that. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, oh, no, no. Really. Yeah. and I, There's so yeah. much of that rage, that the class struggle, that, you know, once you do become a millionaire, it's hard to remember that feeling in its right. purest form. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been interested in that specifically, uh, is watching the sort of anger drip out of King's work. And, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, yeah. I miss that. But, you know, you look at his latest books and it's really not there at all. And that's not a bad thing. I love a lot of his later books, but it's like there, but that is a marked difference. But I guess what I'm getting at is I see the Bachman books on sort of a sliding scale in which uh, roadwork is the purest expression of Bachman, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. uh, that to me is the epitomal Bachman book. And and then past that sort of on the the escalating scale, I have uh, Rage would probably be next, Long Walk next, Running Man next, Blaze thinner and regulators to me is the least Bachman book. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and we'll talk about more of that, I think when we get into the ranking, but you know, what Bachman represents to me, and I think what it is, was it was when King was unsure of who he was as a person. um, And as a writer, I think he viewed everything, he viewed life as a struggle. And he was, he came out of college disillusioned by, um, I think, a lot of the activism he did. I think there was a lot of pride in the activism he did. But, you know, obviously, um, I don't think the hippies got what they wanted out of the Vietnam conflict and the way that the country evolved outside of that. Uh, you know, Roadwork is very much a book about uh, being disillusioned by country, by the economy, by capitalism, by the American dream, by all those things. And that's why I say it's the purest expression of Bachman, because I, and I think it's why King was so proud of it when he first wrote it was because he felt like he had written something important mm-hmm. because he really was tackling big themes. He was tackling all the big themes. And I think a lot of young writers, especially, you know, fresh out of college, they're trying to write that book. You want to write the book that expresses your rage at the world because you do feel like you learn something. You you know, that's what college is for in a lot of ways is is uh, seeing all the lies you were raised with, right? And then <laughs> yeah. um, like shattering them a little bit, like throwing them like glass bottles against a wall and and then uh, dancing over that. And then you eventually piece, glue the bottles back together as part of getting back older, right? Mm. And so, uh, but you know, I think that he wrote that in a, in a, in a spell of great anger and- um, and it was, you know, the, the story that I think really cracked open a lot of stuff for me was his story about, 
giving his agent after Carrie was a hit for the next book, which one's it going to be? Is it going to be this book you wrote called Second Coming, which turned out to be Salem's Lot, which is a fucking fantastic book and Mm -hmm. what a lot of people think is King's best book? Or is it going to be this book Roadwork that he was also really excited about? Uh, He thought they were, I don't know if he thought they were equally good, but he thought they were equally viable as a follow-up to Carrie. And that was because he wasn't thinking about being a genre writer. He didn't, he leaned towards that, which is what I think is why we get sort of the half-developed uh, dystopian worlds of The Running Man and Long Walk because he wasn't fully leaning into genre. He was still trying to be a literary writer. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we talk about a lot with Roadwork is, and he talks about a lot with Roadwork, which was that it was a stab at mainstream literary fiction. It was it was the, it was his attempt to be the kind of person that college professors liked, the kind of person, mm-hmm. the kind of writer that his college professor wanted him to be. Uh, if you read, you know, and on writing the way he talks about it, he, you know, genre wasn't something that was necessarily smiled upon. And I think there is an insecurity. He talks about that idea of being at cocktail parties and people saying, well, what are you writing? Like, what, what's the serious book you're writing? You know, because mm-hmm. you had to be writing a serious book. I think of that scene in, um, uh, I believe it was Capote where Harper Lee, so they're at like a cocktail party and somebody's asking her about uh, you know, the nascent draft of To Kill a Mockingbird, and they essentially say, oh, how's that little uh, young adult book you're writing? You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it, I think that's what King was struggling with because he was young and a little bit insecure and still trying to find his footing as a writer. You know, he wanted to write serious adult novels, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. nobody took a book like Salem's Lot seriously as an adult novel, even though it is. And so I think that that's what the first four Bachman books represent to me is a writer who is still figuring out what he can offer but mm-hmm. still trying to imitate other writers that he thinks are what uh, constitute a successful writer. Mm-hmm. And um, so when he talks about this idea of Bachman being an outlet for, um, I don't know, stuff he couldn't say, I, I feel like that's sort of, and I, the, obviously King is right. King's number one. This is just my alternate history here uh, <laughs> of, of why I don't believe him when he says all this mm. is I think that what he's really getting at is, um, these were books that I wrote when I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But he still loved them in a lot of ways. But I think that they were, uh, they represent a different writer because obviously we look back as, you know, as we grow in whatever art form that we pursue, we look back at the early work and we cringe at it a little bit. Mm. And, um, And I think these are the books that in retrospect, he cringes at a little bit. Uh, but also they represent a person who he perhaps misses a person who, you know, he talks about being angry that he got outed in the uh, 96 one. He talks about how he was pissed off. Like he uses that word specifically. And I feel like in a way, and I like, I feel like he glances at it in that intro where he talks about um, this idea of having no one to defend, you know, like mm-hmm. who could defend this this person? And I feel like that's because he's he felt like people had seen a glimpse of a vulnerable a vulnerable young Stephen King. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the person who wrote this stuff, and he's maybe a little embarrassed about it now. And he didn't want people to know that he was the one who wrote it, but he still wanted it out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is this level of oh no, somebody shined a spotlight on this part of me that I only wanted to exist in the darkness. You know, like barely yeah. perceptible. And um. So I think he sort of did a little bit of revisionist history of how he views those books. And uh, and so then I look at Thinner and I'm like, Thinner is is a little too self-aware to fully be a Bachman book because it's King adopting what I think what maybe the superficial qualities of the book are of, of what those early Bachman books were. But he didn't still have that built in sense of rage and 
and discontent and yeah. uh, an absolute um, distrust of institutions. Because by this point, he was very much a rich millionaire. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, well, I'll just write about, you know, how... Because well, I mentioned earlier, Justin, you said this idea of the unsympathetic characters. I think he absolutely found Charlie to be sympathetic when he wrote it. And same with uh, Barton uh, Dawes. I think he he thought that these guys had justified rage, that they were they had righteous anger. You know, mm-hmm. and I think as he got older, he realized that wasn't particularly the case, um, which is why he talks about it the way he does, which is that these are unlikable characters. But again, I don't think he thought they were unlikable when he wrote them. I think he looked back and said, wow, that person I was back then was a little unpleasant. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. I was unpleasant when I was that age, you know. <laughs> it was. But I'll say like, I guess it's like wrapping it up. And I, um, I think, uh, and then regulators and regulators to me is more of a stunt than anything. Yeah. Uh, because I think he was like, oh, I want to do these Twitter books. And wouldn't it be cool if I used my little, my little uh, pseudonym that has already established and has a whole history. Although I don't think that's a Bachman book at all. And then, <laughs> um, and then Blaze, I think is, I agree with you, Justin. It's a little something else. I think it is another example of the young writer that he was but it represented, I think, an even more tender side, like maybe the even more vulnerable and wounded side of King, mm-hmm. because Blaze is such a damaged, um, uh, you know, sad, tragic character. And King, I think, and that's why he jokes in the intro about how sentimental it was, because I think it was him going full victim mentality. He mm-hmm. was like, you know, whereas uh, Charlie Decker and Barton Dawes had righteous anger, Blaze was just this like sweet boy who was being put upon by the world which is how we all feel when we're young. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the world is unjust and, and the world is out to get us. And that's what I think Blaze represents. So I don't think it's a proper Bachman book, but I do think it at least fits a little bit closer to uh, those early ones than uh, Regulators and Thinner. So I don't know. I think those are my jumbled mess of thoughts that <laughs> uh, I don't fully believe King when he when he breaks all that down. I think it's more of trying to find a tidy narrative for Bachman when I think what it just really represents is uh, in you know, a writer that he knows he was, but doesn't recognize anymore. Yeah. Justin. Well, the, it's the uncertainty, like you're kind of saying in a way, Randall, because even when I was reading blaze, the introduction, how much of that introduction was bullshit and how much of it was real. Yeah. The, the whole idea of Bachman was the, was the book wholly written 40 years ago, or was it half written 40 years ago? Or was yeah. it really written in the aughts? And it was presented yeah. as a 1970s book. I, I don't know what to believe when it comes to Bachman at all. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, when it comes to the the myth of Bachman, the, the now, I wish of Bachman. I, I wish, like you mentioned, Truman Capote earlier, Randall, mm. and I wish we could have him interrogate, you know, Stephen at a dinner party <laughs> and just be like, Stephen, really, well, who is this yeah. Bachman man, gentlemen? <laughs> I, Barton George I would love Dawes. to see him just like, yeah, <laughs> like put the screws to him and really push and be like, what, what are you trying to accomplish here? You know, what is the goal? Is it, you know, I get when there's like you're. Publishers don't want you to have too many titles out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't think that's ever held him back. I don't think it was a choice of do I buy this book or this book. I think with King's following, it's people, it's like Marvel. You know, you're going to go see Ant Man and the other one. Mm-hmm. Although I guess box office wasn't so good for that movie. But you get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the other big revealing thing was because he, he offers multiple reasons across both intros mm-hmm. as to why he did this. And one of them was what you just mentioned, Flieger, which was the, the notion that he couldn't publish too much. And I think maybe that was true around the time of Rage. I don't think that was true come Long Walk Road Work. I think yeah. by that point, he had established his name enough that people would have gladly taken more books. But he talks about in the intro about, 
uh, I believe it was the first one, about wanting to see to you know the whole notion of of success is luck, right? That mm-hmm. uh, when you are as successful as him, there's always going to be something nagging at you that says, "Were you just in the right place at the right time?" And mm-hmm. he's and he he says he goes with these Bachman books. I was sort of seeing, could I do it again? Could I replicate success with these books without the same uh, name recognition? You know, or like, will can I just do it through hard work? You know, just like uh, organic discovery of these books. And he didn't really get a clear answer. Uh, but I think that's sort of him wondering, what if I took that other path and I, all I did was publish literary fiction after after uh, Carrie and I didn't publish horror? Like, mm-hmm. would I still have been embraced? Are these books good? And yeah. I think that is the – I think that is, to me, the, mo- the most I believe him in terms of all the reasons he gives for it is that he really did want to see uh, what does this other version of my career look like. And for us – it's impossible for us to ever really honestly judge that because, I mean, for on my part, I've always known that Stephen King was Richard Bachman and I have always mm-hmm. read the Bachman books with King in the back of my mind. And it's like whenever you watch a remake and you've seen the original, you're always thinking like a part of you is always reconciling those two oh, yeah. things, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just as it's really you can't really say that Stephen King is one thing as a writer. You know, we can't really say that Bachman is one thing either. And there do seem to be like, I like the sliding scale idea because it's like these four books that feel very cohesive and very cynical, dystopian and not supernatural. And then it kind of morphs into something else, which is one of the things I think is really fascinating about Bachman books. And I think I like Bachman books more as a concept than I do actual (laughs) text you know like I really like to dig in but I think I also have to look at it through I feel like I always take it to this but through the lens of substance abuse too because those four books and thinner was Mm -hmm. written when he was still you know abusing what we're not exactly sure where he was at the time but like it's it like speaks of this man who is in pain and who is kind of giving himself permission to let that pain out because I think King is ultimately a positive person, an empathetic person, a mostly happy person, and Bachman books lots of times feel like receptacles for a lot of anger, you know, and I enjoy mm. that in a lot of ways because, like you said, like it's got to come out, and those are two halves of every person, but. Well, I'll say this too, which is that those elements are also present in those early King books in a lot they of are, ways, yeah. which is like I, his agent, Kirby McCauley, in that Washington Post piece mentioned that he thought Cujo would have been the better uh, Bachman mm-hmm. book than Thinner. And I agree 100% because yeah. Cujo doesn't have that supernatural element as strong as, I mean, there, you know, Unless we you believe about, the Frank Dodd. Exactly. We, yeah. Jen and I touched on that I in the primer, but that. I feel like that <laughs> stuff could easily be excised and it could have just been a straight up Bachman book. Cause yeah. I think that that book in terms of tone, in terms of, um, I don't know, the way everything plays out, I think that book, um, lends itself more to that. But I think that also just speaks to the idea that those two, there was a hybrid, right? It was like, there wasn't one fully formed person in Bachman and not one fully formed person in King at that time. Even a lot of the short stories that are mentioned uh, in the complete Stephen King universe that we discussed that they say are sort of Bachman-esque in terms of its, um, in terms of their presentation, a lot of them were early stories like uh, Quitter's Inc. and The Ledge. Mm -hmm. So those are stories that very easily could have been Bachman stories, but they were published as King. So, Yeah. Justin, what were you going to say? 
Oh no, I was, I've been ruminating about different ways to even break this whole thing down about like, what is Bachman-esque yeah. at the end of the day? Even when we think about the hard case novels that have come out in the recent years, those feel more Bachman-esque to me in, in some ways than even something like Cujo would, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because we look at some of these short stories that are quote unquote Bachman-esque. A lot of those are more crime, crime, not noir necessarily, but definitely crime driven. Right? Yeah. I was going to say, the, on the notion of seeing, it's like that champagne problem. It's like, am I only selling so well because people know the brand of me? And it's, you know, I would love to have success, whatever the reasons were behind it. But once you get to that zone and you do start to have, you know, money doesn't solve all of your problems. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen Cheech and Chong's next movie. Mm. But I, that one dream, I never saw. I've seen a few of the they, others. They have so. dream sequences. And one of them, like Cheech Moran is, or Cheech Moran is, like the most successful actor ever in Hollywood. He cuts his face with all these scars to give other actors a chance. They, <laughs> they still keep casting him. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, everything I touch is gold. And it just reminds me of that, of like challenging himself to be like, look, I can still top you. It, it's not just, I think, a message to himself, but we know he's competitive with other writers, right? He, mm-hmm. he calls out Grisham and some of these guys as, you know, they got a bigger advance than he did on this. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's it's not just proving to himself. I think he's also proving to his contemporaries that like I don't even need to use the Stephen King name because my books will still sell because that's yeah. how good they are. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've been going by Mark Marin for years as my student, <laughs> yeah. and I'm happy to be even proven right. I'm doing pretty well. So I'm pretty proud. What is funny that you mentioned Mark Marin because his career does parallel King's in a lot of ways. Like Marin was pretty desperate for a while and had a lot of rage, and, and now that he's gotten he, some and he's success, continued on. He, yeah, he plays more than ever. But yeah. he's actually calmed down a lot. I was going to say, he's not as angry, but he yeah. still complains a lot. But yeah. he's not yeah, as he angry. He complains, but it's not as angsty. Like, yeah. Maybe more angst and less rage. But. Well, and it's interesting, like, because those first four feel so angry, and then we talked about how Blaze feels really vulnerable, and I feel mm-hmm. like that is an older, an old, like a more mature spin on a vulnerable character, and the outward manifestation of vulnerability is anger, you know? And so that's what... I think it's a younger man writing about trying not to be vulnerable. And then Blaze is written from the perspective of someone who has just had enough years under his belt to know that it's not the end of the world to let people see you be vulnerable. Mm. But it's well, also... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, bro. Well, I was just going to say, you can't give yourself a nickname, you know? And it's as much as I think I love Stephen King because he is so self-aware, like no one can ever be truly self-aware and so i enjoy seeing him kind of trying to reconcile this through different stages in his career you know yeah i think um he said he was so like he hated blaze when he wrote it he said it was too sentimental Mm -hmm. and it was i think it embarrassed him and that's what i think is funny is he wasn't embarrassed at all by rage and and roadwork roadwork like when he was publishing him in the early late 70s and i think that's because he saw cynicism as um as something a bit more respectable at least Mm -hmm. in terms of literary fiction and then something with all that vulnerability and i wouldn't say optimism at all but i'd say like i don't know there is a beauty to the end of blaze like to the idea of of that blaze was in some ways redeemed despite the tragic ending and i think that is cringe right to be 
uh, too vulnerable or too emotional in that kind of sense. And I think that makes sense for a young man as you, that is embarrassing to show that side. Whereas showing the, uh, the more cynical side is what you are. I don't know. You're at least more ready to push that onto the world because it makes you seem a little bit more detached and a little bit uh, more self-assured yeah. or confident. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing some research about this. It's called a toxic masculinity. Is anybody here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Why don't you explain it to us, Justin? Yeah. Well, and everybody have a seat. Jen, you Charlie, sit first. Oh, Charlie yeah, Decker. Charlie Decker yeah, is Justin, canceled. Can you please explain to me? I would love to explain this to you. <laughs> hey, I'm can, learning can as we go. Let talk. Okay? Yeah, See, y'all say talks of masculinity. I say it's just Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. Oh, just yes. Blaze being Blaze. <laughs> blaze being Blaze. Well, and that is something I want to talk about too, because Randall, you mentioned in our Blaze episode masculinity, and that a lot of these books are tackling that. Um, before we do that, I want to do a little experiment and I just I wish I had done this earlier but I just thought of it a minute ago okay I'm going to count down to one and then Mm. I want us all at the same time to say the first Bachman book that comes to mind when you think of Bachman Mm. book what comes to mind okay we ready yeah three two one the running man road work thinner interesting okay so we got one road work we got one I said regulators thinner did we all say something different wow we We did did. interesting but I I have a feeling we've got different reasons for that too that's true yes and we are going to get into that as we start talking about our rankings before we do I want to talk about one more book and we don't have to go into too much detail about it but I want to talk about misery because misery was intended to be a next Bachman book and if he had not been uh discovered then he that would have been published under Bachman's name. Um, so, I mean, I pulled a little synopsis for Misery. I feel like our listeners are familiar with what Misery is. So I'm gonna... Is Misery the one with uh, the <laughs> writer the one in with the, the cabin? the piano, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, so Misery is, is that the one... the one with the Tommyknockers? <laughs> oh, my. Oh, let's know <laughs> about it. Just keep knocking. Um, that is the one with Paul Sheldon, who is, yeah, stuck with Annie Wilkes. And Randall pulled this really fascinating article in our primer. Um, I... Still am kind of trying to work out what it all meant, but it was just talking about how misery is kind of a processing of the whole Bachman um, King compendium. Is that that feels like it was kind of about reconciling what that essay was kind of about was reconciling the King's notion of literature versus um, bestsellers, right? Like Mm -hmm. pop fiction versus real fiction. And that was the book that was meant to, at least in this writer's interpretation, this academic's interpretation, was meant to reconcile those things. And they also had this uh, this sexual component to it because Paul Sheldon writes mystery or um, romance novels, the misery mm-hmm. books, and those are coded as feminine and those are to him embarrassing. Whereas the book that he's writing that he thinks is going to be his big breakthrough into literary fiction is called Fast Car. And it's a very, what we read of it is very masculine and very like Norman Mailer and very like tough guy kind of thing. So there's also this idea that literary fiction is masculine, uh, bestsellers, pop fiction is feminine, and that he was trying to, uh, you know, reconcile those two things. And yeah, and, uh, yeah it's an interesting essay. It really is. It's very interesting. And for more on that, listen to our primer. Um, it made me really, it made me want to read the book again, kind of looking for that lens. Um, any other thoughts on Misery as far as Bachman? I mean, there's it's so a much harsh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it, it wouldn't have surprised me. I'll put it that way. It, it yeah. does make some sense that that would have been a, a Bachman book. Well, and one of the things we talked about in our primer is that thinner was probably, in hindsight, a mistake. 
to publish under Bachman's name because it was pretty quickly figured out. Like, it just felt too king. Do you think that if Misery was published under the Bachman name, do you think we would have been able to sniff it out as quickly as people could have with it? It's the 80s, and he's so popular at this point. I yeah. feel like it would be been much more easy to figure out. Yeah, you're I think probably he would have right. been found out. Yeah, I do. I don't think Blaze would have come out and they would have said, wait a minute. Oh, God. <laughs> this Stephen King? It's but that part with Blaze the birds. Blaze being Blaze. I think what's interesting now is like it'd probably be so easy to uncover, not just with internet, but with like AI. They can just yeah. use like word count and like frequency of word choice and just solve it instantly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> ChatGPT, search for it, Jahoobies. Jahoobies. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like more like a chat RB. <laughs> chat RB. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, so this is what Stephen King said about Misery. There's a book that I had thought would become the next Bachman novel, says King. It's a novel called Misery, and it's got that Bachman feel to it. So speaking of a couple more Bachman short stories, I promise this is the last time I'm going to show for our primer episode. But Randall pulled a list. This is from the Stephen King universe, I believe, of other short stories or novellas that uh, they would consider Bachman. Um, I'm just going to read them real quick, and then if we have any others that come to our mind, we can shout them out before we move on. We've already mentioned Cujo. That's not on that list, but I think that's something that we talked about. Um, then we've got The Fifth Quarter, published as John Swithin, The Ledge, Quitters, mm -hmm. Inc., Man with a Belly, which I feel like I want to track down. Which, yeah, that's, what's that? Well, that's I believe it's uncollected, but uh, okay. Brian Burnett, Losers Club, archivist and historian shout to bryant he hey, Brian. messaged me and he said that it's uh he said it there's a reason it's um it's not collected it's not ah, great yeah is it about a guy's belly actually i remember <laughs> that's about that's about um me when i bought that hype williams movie and i was yeah. carrying around the dvd oh, it's the uh it's man junior it's, it's the screenplay to junior where arnold has the child <laughs> oh man i do love that movie um, King is an uncredited contributor, <laughs> exactly. or co collaborator on Junior. It just didn't. Ivan Reitman on the and Stephen King's together at last. Together at last. Aww. Yeah. Uh, we also have the wedding gig, My Pretty Pony, Dolan's Cadillac, the death of Jack Hamilton in the death room. And I was thinking, I think Secret Window, Secret Garden, I might mm. maybe put there. Anybody, what about Finn? Finn. Oh, Finn. Maybe. Yeah. Finn, the short story. Because it feels like a lot, like in the death room. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, what it was interesting that I didn't realize was they said in the Steve, the complete Stephen King universe that my pretty pony was actually started. It was like supposed to be a Bachman novel. Like he started mm -hmm. writing it with that intention, but then, uh, ended up not doing that. But I thought that was quite interesting. Well, and Fascinating it, we, story. Yeah. <laughs> the short story. Short story. Yeah. <laughs> I would always say, I would put like the dark half in there as well. Mm -hmm. there, well, that was him that was there, him really yeah. reckoning with it yeah, yeah. there's no yeah. dark half without richard bachman right yeah. yeah right exactly all right well let's get into our ranking and so we did our patented gerberlytics although it was <laughs> jen's version of gerberlytics this time um Just normal math <laughs> exactly so, so it added I up yeah added it yeah highly Divided complex formulas yes so um we you you have each sent me your independent rankings, so y'all don't know how this is going to shake down. Although I bet we could probably make a couple of educated guesses. Um, Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I was surprised by a little bit and then not surprised at all by a couple of things. <laughs> okay. um, but y'all are about to see all of that as the magic works. Um, I've pulled synopsises, synopsi of all of these from StephenKing.com. 
And one thing I want us to kind of talk about as we go through these is does each work feel like a Bachman book? Because mm. that's something that we were talking about. And I think some are strong yeses and some are strong no's. All right. So that's my drum roll. That's probably yeah, we can insert a drum roll. You don't have to choke oh, okay. on your tongue. <laughs> I don't have to conjure Pazuzu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think for each one, let's just have the uh, the blaze, it's just blaze being blaze. Blaze being blaze. <laughs> yeah, drop as we move on to the next one. Just every single time. Let's do it. I, I apologize, Kyle. I apologize for everything. <laughs> My pleasure, you crazy kids. All right. So number seven, we have blaze being blaze. the 1981 classic Roadwork. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so okay. that is our first on the list, <laughs> last in our hearts. From StephenKing.com, Barton Dawes' unremarkable but comfortable existence suddenly takes a turn for the worse. Highway construction puts him out of his work and simultaneously forces him out of his home. Dawes isn't the sort of man who will take an insult of this magnitude lying down. His single-minded determination to fight the inevitable course of progress drives his wife and friends away while he tries to face down the uncaring bureaucracy that has destroyed his once comfortable life. I cannot ever think of road work without seeing Michael Douglas with that crew cut in falling down. That is just oh, kind man. of. But falling down is so good. Yeah. I actually haven't seen it. I, oh, it's it fantastic. Like, well, I've read road work, so I guess I don't need to Classic. see it. Classic. Right? <laughs> TBS it's the good version. Scan. It's the good, good version, version of Roadwork, yeah. <laughs> well, we all had this pretty low on our list, and I don't think this is a huge surprise that it was down at the bottom. And Randall, I know you have recently reread this, and you have been teasing some thoughts about this. <laughs> do you want to go first, or do you want to let others weigh in? All I'll say is... Um, <laughs> I went into it almost wanting to like it, just uh -huh. to be kind uh, of... Just to be of, all Tommy knockers about it. <laughs> yeah, just to be a little bit contrarian, because it's kind of fun sometimes, and it yeah. spices things up. But man, it's not, it is not a fun read. It is not <laughs> a fun read. This is a book that I think pushes against so much of what King is naturally good at as a writer. Mm -hmm. I think it's a book where he's almost resisting the urge to tell a story for so long of it. I think mm -hmm. he gets there. I think, and that's why I think the end of Roadwork, like perhaps the last third of it is easily the best part. Mm -hmm. um, I think once he picks up the hitchhiker and, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's male fantasy. Uh, there's a lot of like perverted male fantasy going on there. Um, like basically alcoholic, unemployed guy who detonated his life, drives around on the highway all night picks up like a hot 20 year old hitchhiker and she instantly just wants to ravage him. And he's like, <laughs> and everything about him is like, this guy sounds like the nastiest piece of work you would ever come across. But it's like, um, yeah, there's a lot of like weird male fantasy there, but, but you know, that's, I think once the narrative actually starts moving is when that happens. And that's mm -hmm. when we start actually building towards the climax. But the first two-thirds of that book are to me almost unreadable it is so much about the minutiae of this laundry business uh uh various state bureaucracies um like infrastructural debates all this kind of stuff that to me is very adult but i don't mm -hmm. think king knows how to write about it in a very compelling way especially since dawes is such um a wet blanket of a character like there, it's not like i need him to be likable but he's just like very yeah. boring and he's uh 
very deeply unpleasant in ways that don't lend themselves to, I think, compelling narrative. So I don't know. I found it a huge drag. And the thing is, I really can see so much of what he was doing, what he wanted to do, what it all meant to him. But it's like, it's just like really, really unpleasant. And so I don't know. So I didn't come out of it horribly entertained, illuminated or entertained. I I guess I thought that I would like knowing all these things that I know about King now, I'd see them reflected in this very pure, very, um, I think cathartic story. And I think it is those things, but it's also not a very good story. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Although it's not my last yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, it wasn't my last either. It, it was my last. Yeah, it was your last, Flieger. How do you, how do you feel about Roadwork? Um, oh yeah, go ahead, Justin. Oh no, you go. This is your I last. Was gonna you say, go. This yeah, is please. a this is a completionist read. I would consider ah. it. Mm. This is I only read it because I was trying to follow along in order. I don't think I'll ever revisit Roadwork again. But I do want to say that I've you know watched every episode, seen every movie, read every book. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the reason I read it. What about you, Justin? Because you didn't have it last, but you had it next to last. I sure did. Well, to be fair, I think that my bottom three are pretty much tied for last. Uh, yeah. I think that these bottom three are amongst the like the bottom maybe five Stephen King written books, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Randy touched on this about the – you don't need main characters to be likable, right? Yeah. I think if you look at the 21st century, especially with TV, most of these characters are pretty unlikable, but they're captivating. Yeah, And the issue here is that Barton George Dawes, it's not that he's, he's just uninteresting. It's worse. He's like actively annoying. <laughs> That's and a good way to put it. And it's like you said, as a young man, I don't know if King realized how annoying the character was. And, it, you know, it could have been this really interesting take on like land and homeowner rights. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he had written this years later, he would have had a, a better grasp on that. But it totally gets lost in the focus. Like I remember by the end of the book, I was actually rooting for the government to ha- kill <laughs> to kill Dawes. I mean, I was, yeah. I was just get this guy out of here, blow up his house already. You know. <laughs> it, so, I, yeah, I did not like. It. And it's amazing that this. I, I think about some of these books. I might bring this up. I, I think I will just bring this up as we go through the entries. But when I, when I look at them, where they came in terms of the bibliography for King, and this comes in between Firestarter and Cujo. Could you imagine if this had come out as a Stephen King book? Like that would have kind of, I don't know if that would have derailed the momentum or how he was, how it would have been at that point in the, in the early eighties, but it's fascinating to think about where these books land in terms of the publication mm-hmm. yeah. and how that yeah. would have affected his career. I am going to be pulling that up so that I can make sure to note that, um, yeah, I had this last as well. And I read it exactly for the same reason, because I wanted to be able to say that I've read everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really enjoy it. I feel like there's a lot of misplaced victimhood in this story. Oh yeah, um, which I think is is present through a lot of the early the early four, but it really screams here. I will say I have not read it in a couple of years, so it's not fresh in my mind. Um, and it would be interesting to read it as an adult in 1981 because I feel mm. like it is about. A, a man, a middle-aged man who really sees himself as the victim of his life. And we are coming off of 40 years of men like that, really, if not exploding the culture, being like extremely vocal. And so I am just over reading that kind of story, you know? And I wonder how it would hit in 1981. 
there's no way to really know unless there's a listener who read it then and can tell us, but I don't I'd know. love to know. I don't know if we know anybody. They'd have to be a. They'd have to be our parents' age, age, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess I could I'll ask my this, dad. Like, my parents you know, were knocking out road work. They were, <laughs> right. they were knocking yeah. out thinner, but they weren't looking for road the work. The funny, yeah. funny thing is, so I was at a wedding earlier this week, and one of my aunts, we were talking about Bachman, and she's a complete completionist, too, with uh, Stephen King books. So we were actually talking about road work because I was explaining this episode to her, but she read it when it came out. Oh, wow. Um, oh, and she, wow. Did not, she did not like it. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> Course, well, I'll say know. this though. I think that I think that it would have done. I think it would have had an audience at least back then because that that kind of book was very popular back then, which is why mm. King wrote it. Like he said, he styled it like mainstream fiction of that time. And it, you know, I we talk about this in the primer episode, Jen, but that was sort of the era of Norman Mailer, right? Like mm-hmm. that was the and I I like a lot of Norman Mailer, like no shade, but it was a lot of chest pounding macho um, kind of anti-establishment kind of work that was going on, mm-hmm. and. Um, and yeah, so I think that like, you know, when you talk about like his his uh, agent at the time really liked the book, he just thought Salem's Lot was the better book to publish, but he called it like a real novelist novel or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I maybe that was that. the back, maybe that was the backhanded compliment at the time, but King presents it like it was a compliment. Yeah. And then um, I can't remember, there was another, I can't remember if it's in the complete Stephen King universe or if I read this elsewhere, but a lot of people who do talk about roadwork, at least um, looking back on King's career, I've seen mostly positive things. People are like, no, this book's really good. That's fascinating to me. I I know. I don't get it. I I don't get it either, but it's like, I think that there is something, I think that there is something for people to grab onto there. And, And I'll say this, like when I read it when I was a kid, a lot of it was a little bit over my head I was really young when I read it but I remember at the end finding my groove with it I remember ending it thinking like okay I'm glad I read it it was worth it because the the last like you know what 50 60 pages were really good um I remember I didn't feel that way on this reread although I did see that the story really does pick up steam at the end and so I don't know I think that there is something to be said about it leaving you in a better place than where it begins which not every book can can say and then also um uh, I do think that the anger that is really bottled up in that in that book that there's a lot of worthy targets in that book, yeah, yeah which exactly. is something that is one of the reasons I was like maybe I'll be contrarian and like this because I agree with a lot of what he's saying about America and it's still true what forty fifty years later but it's not a good book in the sense that it is not entertaining you know, it doesn't lean into King's strengths and it doesn't and it is I love the word you use Justin it is annoying it's yeah. it's you're at a, it's the worst guy at the party who won't stop talking <laughs> to you I may have mentioned this on the episode years ago but I do still think like Paul Schrader could do something with this you know oh, I mean? hell yeah that's a <laughs> I think Paul he could Schrader take this and and shape it into something else I do think that the story itself like you said the bones are there it's just the execution um, is not for me. Well, yeah, Andy Muschietti has the rights to it right now. So yeah, I cannot I think, think of a worse pairing. <laughs> I know than God. Andre Muschietti and Roadwork. Starring I, I Finn Wolfhard. What? Oh, that'd be like Finn. that'd be like if you said Gary Doberman was doing Salem's Lot. Like that makes no sense. I mean, I don't. I'm get fucking that. dying at the idea, but I'm thinking of like season three Stranger Things, Finn Wolfhard in in Roadwork uh-huh. like, with a bull like a really bad like yeah, but he's taped on black mustache or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Like working yeah. at the laundry, like drinking whiskey, <laughs> driving, uh, picking up hitchhikers. Oh, God. I feel like this it's, it lends itself more to be like a modest mouse song. 
I'm just like this <laughs> crazy dude, but I only want to get three to four minutes of this story and then I'm good to go. Oh, that's so I that's picked such up a, a hitchhiker the other day. Yeah. Well, there's that's on Trucker's Atlas that is very similar. Yeah, that's on like rules. I love cranked it. out driver, but doing drugs off with of switchblade or something. <laughs> well, speaking of doing drugs off a of switchblade, let switchblade. Let's move into our next one. Blade being blade. Which might actually have a switchblade in it. I haven't read it in a while, but that is 1977's Rage. Um, Fair enough. The, yeah. So this is our number six. Um, the first Bachman book published. It is the only one that has been pulled off the shelves. And again, more of on that in our primer. And we have historically not been very kind to this book on the pod. Um, from StephenKing.com, a disturbed high school student with authority problems kills one of his teachers and takes the rest of his class hostage. Over the course of one long, tense, and unbearably hot afternoon, Charlie Decker explains what led him to his drastic sequence of events, while at the same time deconstructing the personalities of his classmates, forcing each one to justify his or her existence. And this one, I feel like I kind of twin this one. I feel like rage and road work go together Agreed. and the long work the long walk and and the running man kind of go together. This feels like high school road work, you know? Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and Dustin, you have this at number five on your list. That I might love have it. been yeah. the higher ranking of it. So why I mean, do you love Rage? <laughs> I love it so much. No, this is a dirt poor novel. Um, <laughs> I, I would give this easily a one out of five. <laughs> you know what it is? It's, it's, a, it's a sloppy rendering of, our, of a then rare occurrence, right? With the whole school shooting thing. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I was listening to recently, and they made a good point. Like, you shouldn't read something and and try to say, or read something with the reading of, oh, this has to be realistic if you're watching a movie or watching a show, reading a book. But the problem is, I do believe, especially with some of the flashbacks, that you you, you are supposed to be in the real world. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't so much the shooting itself, the incident. Like, un- unfortunately, with the lives that we've all led and we've witnessed and and, and read about over the last specifically 20 years, mm-hmm. I believe that all too well. The problem is it's the accelerated Lord of the Flies timeline mm-hmm. that happens to the kids in the room that really takes me out of any real sense of terror or tension at that point. I just didn't I didn't buy the reality that he was selling at that yeah. point. And again, this is another character. Like Randall, I think you said that maybe his intention was to have Charlie be kind of this like cool kid ahead of the game ahead of the curve who actually does know it all but an equally annoying character to to dawes from roadwork and i think that that's a problem too well he's 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 smarter than everybody right he thinks he's smarter than everybody everybody. like when you say he deconstructs all the students it's like that's what i think is so annoying is that this character is a know-it-all and he ends up being mostly right about everything you know what i mean right which is and it's not like i i don't know i don't want to clutch my pearls too much at this it's 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 I agree. It's a sloppy rendering of something that King that was more or less uh, a rare occurrence when King was young. It's it's really hard for I think people of our generation to talk about this book, um, considering like and and look at yeah. it. I think objectively after the carnage that we've grown up seeing our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but again, you know, it's like that's not the main problem. Justin's right. It's just not a very good story because. The character is deeply annoying. He's a total know-it-all. And um, the best parts of the book, I think it's similar to Blaze, 
in that it's the flashbacks. I think Mm -hmm. some of the flashbacks are pretty, and this is why it's number five on my list as well. Uh, Because I think that I remember specifically the scene about, I think it's like when he loses his virginity or something like that on the beach with that girl, that scene, I remember being very good. Like, or at Mm. least it really spoke to me back when I was a kid and I thought it was good on my reread for the podcast. And then we talk about that in our episode. There are a few flashbacks that I think actually do tell little compelling little stories. And I think that's where King was most comfortable mm-hmm. in these, like when I think about Blaze as well, because I think the flashbacks in Blaze are easily the best part of that as well. And um, I think those moments where he's like trying to dig into why a character is the way that they are, that's where he gets to do a lot of the character work that he's really good at. So, yeah. so I can give Rage credit for that, but I think that it's, um, I think that it's kind of a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Know it all teenagers book, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's I, I think I had it at five as well, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it is almost like yeah, what we would have like now a four chan message board yeah. kind of guy, like know it all edge lord. Um, but I, I didn't read this book until two years ago. So I think I like there was so much going on, you know, the controversy. I knew about the suspensions. I knew it was like a very, a lot of people didn't like it. But I, I actually wasn't. I didn't think it was as bad. I'd probably give it like one and a half or two out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I brought a lot more into it, being like, oh, this is going to be like you know the anarchy cookbook. Like this is oh, going to be a how to yeah. guide or like that Turner Diaries racist book. And instead, isn't I just that, thought it wasn't. But, and isn't that what happens when you ban books? Like when you exactly mm-hmm. you, you yeah. he who should not be named. You actually give them more power. Exactly. I, I cannot believe like of all the books, and they're like, oh, similar instances. It's like no, a lot of this is just kind of logical if you're going to go shooting. It's not Yeah, it's right. not like I read that and There's they're like, oh, I should so get many spaces to go in the classroom before you right. start shooting. But it's people. like, oh, I, I was going to use a mortar and pistol, but instead I'll get a machine gun. It's I don't think that's Stephen King's the first one to come up with that. Right. Idea, and I, you you know, know, I also, before we move on, I, I think I, I totally respect if it's if it's King's decision not to want this republished. Totally yeah. understand that. If it wasn't well, his decision, then I would have a, more of an issue with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I totally respect his decision because you know, if I were him, like this, it was the Paducah shooting. A mm-hmm. kid, it was. The, gu- mm-hmm. the gunman just, had it, like had the book. It, yes. I don't know if it was on him. I don't know if it was I think like. it was in his locker is what okay. I'm, Or like found among his possessions. I don't think it was actually on him though. I can understand being the writer of that, seeing yep. that mm-hmm. and being like feeling responsible, even though he's not responsible. And I think he understands that. De- and he wrote about that in one of the intros mm-hmm. um, yeah. or in an interview or something. But he, he wrote about it in know, Guns too, that essay that he wrote. Yes. Yeah. And so I think that that so I totally understand it. But yeah, I ultimately I think I can understand the personal decision for it because mm-hmm. I do think it comes where he feels like he's trying to make up for the mistake of publishing this book, if that's yeah. what he, that's how he perceives it. But, you know, I agree with you guys. It's like, I, I think that uh, banning books is usually a very bad slippery slope. Yeah. Censoring editing books in the future is also an yeah. awful um, yeah. but I, retrograde but I've wanting, decision. I've been wanting to get a copy of it though so badly just for the collection. Just to have it. And yeah. I found a Spanish language version and I was like, should I? <laughs> oh, and really? I was like, nah. oh, yeah. yeah, it was on eBay. It's it rage with the e with a little apostrophe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I've actually read this book because I, I read it for the first time about ten years ago when this podcast was but a glint in our eye. <laughs> and then, of course, I was oh, I was not on the episode because I had just read it, but I did reread it just to kind of keep up with the pod. So I've actually read this book twice in the last decade, which is a uh, I'm not sure how many people can say that. Yeah, I definitely I'm- did. <laughs> 
I've read it twice, but not twice in the last decade. And mm. I do want to say, like, it's just interesting to see because I looked up all of the King chronology. It came out right after The Shining and right before The Stand, which just feels like yeah. two mountains and then a valley. Yeah. You know, a molehill. And, yeah. And even Night Shift. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I only have so, our, um, like novels. that run is crazy. It and is. To imagine I know. it being in the middle. Which, I mean, well, it was under the Bachman name. But yeah, I think like this, that misplaced victimhood. I think that I had these two. This is my second lowest. And it's just because this is a story that I am not interested in hearing right yeah. anymore. Misplaced you know? victimhood is a really good way to put that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why Stephen King feels uncomfortable with it because I don't think the novel itself sees that. Like, I think we can see it now, but I don't think the writer sees it. And like, it's interesting that that, um, it talks about deconstructing because I think they're like deconstructing is seeing the humanity in his classmates and he's doing the opposite. He's putting them into stereotypical categories and which is such a teenager thing to do. So, and that's what I was getting at. I think earlier was that notion of, of like, these characters were sympathetic when he wrote it, right? Right, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. these ideas, like that misplaced victimhood, he still thought it was righteous anger and not misplaced victimhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when he was younger. And he's such a good writer that that comes across. You know, it's really clear, I think, to see who he's kind of aligning with and that he likes a lot of his characters, which is interesting because one of the defining characteristics for me of a Bachman book is he doesn't really like his characters, but I think he does see the world through these characters in this story. Yeah. Um, well, before we move on, and we can just make this yes or no, because I think we've already talked about it enough, but does this feel like a Bachman book? I would yes. say yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. C, yes. C. <laughs> C. All right. So our number, our next one, uh, would, would that be five? My numbers are running yeah. together. Okay, we have Blaze being Blaze. 1982's The Running Man, which Wow, this is, is unbelievable. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Uh, this I think I might have something to do with it. I think I might have it too. Um this uh also I was listening to the beginning of this one today set in 2025. Which, oh shit, we're getting close. I know, it just blows my mind. Um, Somebody's got to right. change our currency soon. I know, to the new bucks. Um, all right, from StephenKing.com. It's 2025, and reality TV has progressed to the point where people are willing to wager their lives in exchange for a chance at enormous wealth. Ben Richards is desperate. He needs money to treat his daughter's illness. His last chance is entering a game show called The Running Man, where the objective is to elude police and specially trained trackers for a month. The reward is a cool billion dollars. Billion cat- dollars. Billion dollars. That's so much <laughs> I know. Of new dollars, though, so it's essentially like, you know, yeah. a thousand bucks. Um, yeah. The like- catch is that everyone else on the planet is watching and willing to turn him in for a reward. So... I have a huge, um, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this because I'm a big Arnie fan, but this one was the one that had the most wide ranging rankings on our individual list. And Flieger, you actually had this at number two. Oh, yeah. shit. Care yeah, to, I, uh, you know, chill for the, the run? Um, I, I just really enjoy this novel. Like, I think it's <laughs> exciting and I hate reality TV. So I love the idea of just kind of like, presenting it in like its purest form of like this is basically what people are doing is they're just degrading themselves you know <laughs> for the chance for a cash prize uh-huh. but but in Accurate. the end in the end though it's all rigged anyway right it's not real it's fake um mm-hmm. so i really like it but i also think i mentally have trouble separating it from the film and it's 
one of my favorites. The reason I said Running Man is what I think of when I think of Bachman is because that movie was such a big part of my childhood. I just thought it was so cool. And I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger growing up. Yeah. Um, I also think the ending is pretty awesome. I mean, with the plane hijacking, mm. you know, it's we, we're going to get rid of rage and ban that. But then why not ban the running man? <laughs> but, you know, if you we're going to go down that. Man. Yeah, exactly. But it's like if mm. that's going to be the intestine trip we're doing, yeah. right? It also just shows, I think, the why I think banning rage is kind of silly, too. Because you're like, any of these could motivate you to do something pretty awful. Right. Um, right. But yeah, did anyone put this as their number seven book, their least? popular is that randall you did that yeah this I is my number numbers. four oh, okay number justin four. You're, why don't you share your thoughts before i go off i um well i think you said it too familiar but bonus points for the concept which is so far out of its time with the reality tv kind of aspect of it all although i i i, I, I get this so mixed up with the movie half the time to be honest yeah. with you um which i do think is much better than I the book i love the movie yeah. Yeah, i love that absolutely. movie absolutely sub-zero i I remember the backfiring of this were the chapter headings for me with the mm -hmm. countdown because at first it was kind of, you know, skipping along and all of a sudden it would say, you know, what, 50 seconds or what it was 50 seconds, right? It was always, it was by seconds, I think. Yeah, it was by I minutes, right? Like T minus or something. T minus 50 seconds. I don't remember. But then all of a sudden it just really seemed like time started to really slow down and you're like, oh my God, how many more seconds or minutes do I have left of this? Mm -hmm. And it just it just wore off for me and i think like i said i think it was just better executed with a mini twist and adding of course arnold schwarzenegger as the main character for the movie <laughs> i just think that the movie is more successful with this material than richard bachman was uh back yeah. in the early 80s so i yeah. think so too it's like dirt porn you know like gritty dirty like mm, poverty yeah. porn you know yeah. it's so i was listening to it today and i got to the point where the game actually started and and that part was interesting, like when he's going through all the tests, but it just screams righteous anger. It's like, how mm -hmm. dare the upper crust of society look down on us? Like, I'm smart. I my money's still good. You know, I'm it just it screamed that to me. And then I got to that point. And I was like, I just I'm not I don't want to read this again. So, yep. I got a little taste of it, but so I had this at number, um, I had this third to last on my list at number five, but Randall, you had this dead last. So. Oh, fa oh interesting. <laughs> I might've just been being a brat, uh, which is how I try <laughs> no, to keep I things spicy. It. <laughs> uh, Braddy no, Colburn? <laughs> Braddy Colburn. Uh, no, I think it's, it, I do remember when I reread it for the podcast, I had a very visceral like dislike for it. And if you listen to our episode on it, I'm really, really negative on it. I think I just found it mm -hmm. deeply unpleasant, but I felt like it didn't. And here's the thing. You guys are right. Like, especially hearing you talk about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like definitely not the worst Bachman book. But sorry, I got to stick by my ranking. Look, I don't no, think it's, it's by any means good. I want to make right. that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it does have a really cool concept, especially at that time. Like he based, you know, like yeah. I like I was thinking when you read the synopsis and they were like reality TV has like mm -hmm. reality TV wasn't a thing when he wrote this. Like that wasn't a phrase that people used or had even unnecessarily like right. a frame of reference for. So the idea that it it foresaw um 
you know, a direction culture has gone. And I mean, we are inching closer to real life running man every day and we are going to get there eventually. Like I genuinely kind of believe that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he wanted, he wanted to write a survivor book. He wanted to write a, like after survivor, the TV show came out, he had ideas for a novel. He wanted to write about like a survivor yeah. scenario gone wrong. He's always been interested in this material. I mean, long lock is a riff on it too. So in those ways, it's a really cool book, but I just found uh, ben Richards to be so deeply, deeply unpleasant and and not just like and anno- I guess annoying in the same way that Barton Dawes is annoying. But then and I think you're right, Justin, the beginning is interesting. And mm-hmm. then the beginning of the game, like once we're getting there, it's kind of cool. But then it drags like this book drags so fucking much for me. And then uh, it's like it then refuses to get to that climax. It, yeah. It and I almost feel like I almost feel like he. Like I look at, I was looking at the chapters, and it is like it's like a T minus, or it's like minus sixty and counting. That's what I feel it like is. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he started at a number and then realized how many chapters he had to do, so he had to <laughs> sort of pad it out. And uh, like he's like, because he wrote this in seventy two hours. Like, well, he doesn't say this, but I have a strong yeah. feeling that. He had some substances going through his system while he wrote it, and uh, he says he didn't revise it at all. And I say, sir. Obviously, I believe uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, I found it tiresome, although I do remember that <laughs> there's a couple sections that are genuinely scary with um, there's like a section where he's being chased through a through some kind like of abandoned a building. Yeah. Tunnel. And he climbs through like a tunnel in the ground and it's so claustrophobic. And that to me is like 100 percent deep deep horror mm-hmm. so i remember that being effective and the ending is fantastic because it's literally isn't it like like the bad guy like sees the plane coming and he can see ben like giving him the finger or something before which is, the plane crashes what's ironic is that that was used in another schwarzenegger movie that wasn't the running man it's in true lies at the end when he can't pulls yeah. up and winks at the at the terrorists so it's so it's weird. fired <laughs> yeah fired. and then and I love too, like just how long his intestines are hanging out of his body. Like that mm-hmm. that's I mean, you mentioned it, Jen, and that's because there's like fifteen different descriptions about how his intestines are falling out of him. And when I remember when I read that when I was a kid, I was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> right. How this is gross. So uh I think it was the first time I'd I'd read King uh have somebody's intestines falling out of their body in a book and i i've always i must what can i say i'm a sucker for that uh little bit of gore so so yeah the book has that going for it but i think i i found roadwork almost to be an easier read in terms of uh getting through it i i think like uh running man just has major second act problems Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like if we started at like 75 or 50 you know this is (laughs) a great book you know not and just cutting out the padding you know let's go 25 Let's just uh, yeah. let's go I mean, for it. Let's, we can do this. Short story. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe if like, Jesse Ventura showed up in like yeah. the twenty-five second mark, like the movie, I've been much more into it. Yeah, into it, yeah. I just I love that this is the second movie that has two future governors in it. Because oh, um, right. in the book, and Predator being the other one, but in the book, the guy is described as being like skinny and scrawny. Mm-hmm. But in spite of that. Uh, I still picture him in my head as Arnold. So every yeah. line yeah. that gets delivered, even if it's yeah. not remarkable, I'm just still hearing, you know, like we got to get down there. Like that kind of <laughs> I know. Thing. I think that was another thing was when I was rereading it, I was like, how can I deal with this person <laughs> yeah. when I know Arnold, I could be having Arnold lead this story. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I could have Arnold stabbing somebody in the back while signing a contract. I mean, this, <laughs> exactly. is, what, this is what I want. <laughs> and stabbing them with the pin that you signed the contract yep. with. Yeah. It, and it's interesting when you have such a strong connection like that, it either, I feel like bumps it way up or bumps it way down, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Isn't one, isn't 
a guy from Fleetwood Mac in that movie too? Yes, I believe like it's Nick Fleetwood, Nick Fleetwood is in it. Yes, That's so funny. Really? You know, I just you, well, found you know out- who directed that movie. Uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, of course. Part into Ben Mears from was the TV version of Sounds. Both Lot. Starsky and Hutch. I couldn't remember which one it was. <laughs> yeah, one, direct- one of the two. One okay. of them was in Salem's Lot, and one of them directed Running. Oh, Man. the guy who <laughs> looks like um Angelina Jolie, John Voight. <laughs> I thought you say that the, the guy looks like Angelina Jolie. Oh no, 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 no Angelina no, no, no. Jolie's John- dad. I can never. No, think I know name. you're talking about Jen. You think that the actor who plays Ben looks like John Voight from the 1978 yes. version? Midnight Cowboy, that. John Voight. Yeah. Yeah. Who is that well, actor? Because Paul Michael Glazer is the guy who directed Running Man, but I can't remember. Yeah. It's anyway. Some, it's somebody I never there's heard. There's no of. way to ever find out, too. I know. Bad. There's no know. way to. Wait, know. wasn't the other one Tom Wopat? No, that's Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh well. Same yeah. beautiful curly brown hair though, Mike. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Well, and I feel like this is kind of an obvious question, but does it feel like a Bachman book? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, because to me it always was a Bachman book. I think that that might if I was reading all of these straight through, I don't know if I would have that same sentiment. Yeah, it definitely I think feels the least like a Bachman book of the mm. first four. Mm, yes. Yeah, I, I think so too, and partly I think because it's just so action packed. You know, like it is very cinematic. Even though I think we've seen the cinematic yeah. version of it that is better, but um, I do love how the movie does say adapted from the book by Richard Bachman. It doesn't say Stephen yeah. King. Yeah. Yeah. Well, King and King demanded that because by the time the I, I we talk about this in our primer, yeah. but the they they bought the the rights thinking it was just Richard Bachman, but they were kind of sitting on them. And then I think when the news dropped that mm. Bachman was King, the studio or whatever had like they had a very small amount of time left on the option, so they like rushed it into or rushed to renew it. Yeah. And then I think get it into production because. Uh, but then King demanded they wanted to put Stephen King's name on it, but King's demand was that they put Bachman on it. Um, you know, that's how a lot of the Hellraisers got made. So I think it's pretty lucky yeah. that we got a good movie from a rest production, yeah. you know. I also think that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's name being attached helped carry the uh, <laughs> uh, notoriety as well. <laughs> slightly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, speaking of cinematic novels, the next one on our list is the first one not published in the original Bachman Books collection from 1996. It is wow. the regulators. Mercy. So that it's falling at <laughs> <Mercy>. number four. <laughs> I actually had this the highest of all of us. I had this at number three. So that's oh, probably wow. Yeah. I like this. And I think you know I have I, it at number three as well. Do, yeah, that's right. You do, yeah. And I wonder, Fleeker, were you on the episode with us? Because I know it was me, yes. Randall, yeah. and Autumn Marie. That's right. I thought. Would so. you have it at Fleeker? I'm curious. I had number four, right on, right on target. All of I, you. I would like to hear everybody. <laughs> well, okay. I will Why say. Don't you start? Yeah, go for it, Justin. Because you, you had this dead last. This book. First of all, oh. I have to also say I wasn't a big fan of Desperation, so mm-hmm. it was tough to read this right after that. With obviously the whole Twinner universe thing. Um, great opening. Yeah. Great mysterious opening. And then as the plot unfolds, especially with all everything pertaining to Seth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the worst shit. Uh, literally shit when you say shit, because I think yeah. at one point he he has such bad diarrhea after laxatives that the the tech can't stand it and leaves his body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because of massive diarrhea. <laughs> Oh my Christ! Um, hey man, I wouldn't want to stick around. Well, I also think that this whole story was just much better executed in a twenty-two minute Twilight Zone episode called "It's a Good Life." Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. And so, 
and of course, it's 22 minutes. It's not 500 pages of basically doing a less successful version of that. And, you know, the whole the kid's autistic. And I, it, there's a section of this when they kind of just start wandering through the desert that it's created. And I, that's how I really desert. felt. I cartoon love that desert. section. Yeah. Oh, I, I, that's it's that's how I felt reading it. aspect of it mm. is genuinely freaky to me. Yeah, I just I was so out of it by that point, though. I think I was just. I was just disinterested is, at that it point. It is insanely long. It's, it's, it's just yeah. really long. So, it's really long. so much longer yeah. than I remember. And that's so yeah, I had this. A, I had this at last, which is so. significantly long. Yeah, they're both long. But desperation yeah. to me is like a masterpiece compared to this. And you know, I think I think the first third, especially of desperation, is just awesome. Yeah. But I only think maybe the first what uh tenth of this is really good and then the, mm-hmm. and it just kind of spins its wheels before it just becomes a lesser version than other uh successful properties that yeah. were done before it you, you know what i'm realizing though is just in this conversation like almost all of these books we have to bring in like outside uh whether it's other media or a film or a book mm. so even with the regulators right it's hard to separate it from desperation because mm. it has oh, such definitely. an impact and i think that's why it maybe is higher I agree that's not one of my favorite reads and I probably would put it lower, but I think the twinning with desperation, whether it's a gimmick or not, it's, it works on me and it makes me enjoy it. Yeah, it gives it. it some juice. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, you can't judge this just on its own. I guess we're supposed to with the rankings, but it's almost impossible to do so. And I think the idea of having the two books with the same characters being completely different, but still by the same names was kind of interesting at the time. But yeah, going back and rereading it, I was like, yeah, this book, is for me a book that drags that could have been really good too i think it's the idea of like the random uh you know shootings is kind of interesting but then it just mm-hmm. gets lost Yeah, the in... idea of like murderous power rangers is is fucking yeah. awesome like, yeah, i agree yeah yeah and i but you know you're right justin it's the seth and audrey stuff yeah that's what really kills the book yeah because <clears throat> it is so and i feel like this is where he was trying to be bachman but it is brutal this, what happens. It's not sympathetic at all. To, oh, well, the scene when he pours like, the no. honey down her throat still yeah. haunts me. The epilogue, I guess, is a little good out jail free card in terms of the oh yeah the, the epilogue. Ending. That's but, what I mean, really I think kills the Bachman vibes of yeah. it. Yeah, is yeah. the happy the ending. I agree. Yeah. And then the stuff with Audrey and Seth. If I don't, I wouldn't even consider that Bachmany because King tortures characters all the time mm-hmm. in his books, like. I guess we're just looking at it. It is, I will say it is particularly cruel, but at the same time, I could also see it in another King book. So for me, this is, and I mean, I don't mean to spoil your question at the end of this, but this is the furthest, I think, from a Bachman book of all of these. Because, and I think that, uh, because especially because King was just using the name because I think he liked the idea of sharing character names, especially because mm-hmm. he was into the multiversal. Like, he was really kind of uh, wading into the waters of his own multiverse at this point. So I think it was on his mind. And I think he just really liked this idea of this publishing gimmick, mm-hmm. which, because he was really into publishing gimmicks at this time, too, because he was seeing the how, how I think, stale the publishing industry was growing around that time. This is around the same time as The Green Mile, yeah. which was published in installments, mm-hmm. uh, as The Plant, which was published online, as Writing the Bullet, which was published as an ebook. It's all around the same time. 
And this was also a gimmick in itself, which was just like his pseudonym, Men King, release a book at the same time. It has shared artwork. And that's what you're saying, Fleer, which is that that shared artwork, I think, is so iconic to yeah, bulk books. And it's such plus. compelling I artwork. Yeah, that, I love that it. The, yeah, the uh, the appeal, I think, carries over uh, and it gives it it gives regulators some goodwill. But I think what go- I think why I had it so high is that. The premise itself really like suburban horror was rare at that time. And I was a suburbs kid and this street looked a lot like my street. Mm -hmm. So I was drawn to that. That and um, I was a little bloodhound when I was a kid. So, so (laughs) many great murders and kills in this book. I love that aspect of it. And then rereading it as an adult when I liked it considerably less. Uh, I will say, though, the the cartoon desert and all of that, that was some cool imagery. And um, and like the the son with a cowboy hat on and stuff like that it's like and then the guy like sinking into the spines of the cactus and staring up at the at the or it was the moon with the cowboy hat mm-hmm. that's such fucking cool imagery like i and that, that stuck with me from when i was a kid reading it and i think that stuff goes a long way in helping me forget about a lot of the seth and audrey stuff but yeah it was a really punishing reread in terms of how long it is yeah. so um yeah but i i yeah so i gave it some goodwill i think uh having it that high but i stand by it yeah and i mean i think if I were to rank this among all of Stephen King's books as a whole, it would probably be pretty low. But among the Bachman books, it's it's on the higher edge for me. And I remember when these both came out and I went to Book World and I was like, well, which one am I going to get? I can't, I'm not mm. going to get two. You know, I was, I don't know, 16. I didn't have enough money for two hardcovers. Right. And I picked this one because this seemed like a more coherent idea that I could wrap my brain around, you know, and mm. I, I didn't read Desperation for years until years later. Because it just seemed, I don't know, it seemed off-putting. It seemed like too big of an idea for me to really be interested in as like a 16-year-old. And I remember enjoying it as when I read it then. Um, and then, and I was excited to read it again. And it did sink, I think, a little bit. But what I love about this is comparing it to Desperation. And this is when I think of like, I enjoy Bachman more as a thought experiment than I do as actually reading the text. Like, I don't mean that as a knock. Like, I really love digging into both of these books and kind of picking out what feels like Bachman and what feels like King on both sides of it, you know? And I think... I, go ahead. I'll say, Jen, no, 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 I don't want to cut you off if you're still okay. going now. I, I was going to say, in terms of... And maybe you'll agree with me on this, though, is that in terms of, like, books being released around the same time, I mean, beyond... It's funny, because even though... Tack is directly involved in both books and these characters share the same names. I felt like there was more of an opportunity to do the Bachman King thing with like Dolores Claiborne and mm. Gerald's game. Yeah. And I feel like that would have been a much better inter- that much that would have been a much more interesting twinner opportunity to, to look at it through those through the lens of those two books as opposed to this. I just feel like it was a missed opportunity. I just don't because I read Desperation first. I read it. I had read it years. It was, it was the opposite. It was I read Desperation when it came out, and I read it again years later mm-hmm. before I ever read Regulators. And I just, I just felt kind of let down if you look at it as a a mirror or a twinner or a continuation in some way. I just, yeah. just was a was a yeah. poof to me. Yeah, I, I read them back to back, so like I couldn't imagine not doing it that way. Um, one thing though, just like Jen, you were kind of mentioning, I like, triggered it. Do you think there's another Richard Bachman out there as in a third pseudonym that King's been writing under that we might uncover someday? Yeah, Grady Hendrix, right? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> be, yeah. People have asked him this and he swears that it's not that there isn't. Yeah. I feel like 
I don't know. If we don't know by now, I think we'll never know, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. But I'd be, hey, I wouldn't put anything past him. I like would John either. Grisham or something. Yeah. J.K. <laughs> Rowling. <laughs> well, and that's interesting to think in our, because after this, part of the reason that I love this, that I love des- the regulators and desperation twinning together is because of the themes that we got into. And I love looking at it as a text he wrote um, in recovery. We did a whole episode about Bachman um, aside, like connecting the two books in addition to the two book episodes. And one thing I'll say about our format too, is just about every book that I am on a book episode for, I end up liking more than the first time I read it. Cause I feel like I've got in the misery section, I have an outlet to vent about what I don't like. And then I am specifically looking for things that I do like, you know, so it almost always bumps me, bumps it up, but I'd really like the comparison between God and TV as themes Mm. for those both books. Um, personally, I think that Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's game are, uh, near perfect. So I would not want to ever mess with those, but I'm curious, which one do you think would be Bachman and which one do you think would be King? I think, oof. I would say Gerald's game would be Bachman. You think I so? Agree. Yeah, think that's so. a little. Yeah, yeah. It's nastier. It's just a nastier word. Yeah, and it's yeah. not as magical, I guess. Yeah, I guess there's some, but it, I don't know. It just seems it seems more like a lot of the Bachman books are like, here's this crazy scenario. Watch them suffer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Dolores Claiborne is in some ways the harsher novel throughout. Like, Agreed. Gerald's game has the well, obviously a super gory scene, but it's very. Dolores Claiborne just has a lot of coldness. There's a lot more complexity in Dolores too. Yeah. I love them both. And they both feel like King novels, but so if I could still have them and then have versions of them where they were twinners, I would, I would like that, but I wouldn't want anyone to mess with them. Um, I also want to say in that episode where we compared the, uh, the regulators and desperation, I twinned every, um, Bachman book with a King novel and Ooh. I wish I had looked oh up that was really good I, you did that at the end of the episode I was so impressed oh that sounds pretty cool I've yeah. like mentioned that in other episodes like oh thanks I wish I had it's gone back free and in our feeds it. So. it is yeah go back and listen losersclub.com right. <laughs> don't I remember, use that no, please <laughs> yeah <laughs> I posted some or I twinned something with um Pet Cemetery. it may have been road work I'm not sure but yeah go back and look at it um well, speaking of looking back, our next book is 2007's Blaze. That is third on our list. And let's see, Justin, you weren't on the Blaze episode, but I would love uh-huh. to hear your thoughts on this trunk novel. Let me read the synopsis first because I accidentally skipped that part. Um, it was written or submitted as a possible follow-up to Carrie from Stephen King. Which was not, that was not true though. That's right. Yes. Remember, yes. He hey, lied about that. This is he the did. question I have about the intro of the blaze. What is real and what isn't? What I you mean, what and is nothing is, but what is not. Yeah. I mean, this is, this Bobman guy isn't even real, you know? I know. It's so confusing. Right. No, he's, he submitted road work, but at, at the time he revealed that he said blaze because he hadn't been out at his Bachman yet. That's right. Ugh. Um, I wonder. Well, anyway, but we it is still about that it's still on <laughs> it's still on the Wikipedia for Blaze. So that's right. Yeah, I can't trust yeah, everything you read. I don't know. Anymore. But you should go and upvote whatever that thing Justin said. Um, somebody worked with 
somebody else on. That's that's the internet working for us. All right. Clayton Blaisdale Jr., a.k.a. Blaze being Blaze, has had a hard life, which led him to petty criminal activities. Even though his partner, George Rackley, died three months before Blaze, is still hearing his instructions for pulling off one more scheme, the kidnapping of an infant whose parents are millionaires. The story tells of the attachment Blaze forms for Baby Joe as he remembers his own childhood, one that was much different than the one Baby Joe will have. So, Justin, I'm looking at where you had Blaze. You had this as number two. I had this as number two. Yeah, I did. I thought this was – I had just read for the first time a week ago. Oh, I put really? it off. I just was not that interested in it at the time yeah. it came out. I'd read Lisey's story, which came out right before this, which I loved. But reading it now, I thought this was kind of like a lost – I don't want to say it's a it's a minor gem because that would think that would indicate that I thought it was a near masterpiece or something. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite good. Like I know the dates aren't specific, but I am just a real sucker for these yesteryear stories that King writes. Mm-hmm. Like I think about yeah. even though even in the, the intro once again, it's very loose about what is it the seventies, is it the eighties when he's younger? It's it's all it's all fucked up. But to me, it feels like it's the fifties. And yeah, I think he just captures it definitely that really resonates well. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And Randall, you mentioned with with Rage that you were kind of taken by the, if anything, by the flashback sections of that. Mm-hmm. But this was the rare case, especially with Bachman, I guess, where when I was in the flashbacks, I wasn't dying to go back to the the present with Blaze and vice versa. Oh, interesting. Like I really wasn't bored either way, and I think that a, 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 I would say a minor miracle with this book is that. He creates in Blaze a character that's so likable that even though you're with him, when he punches and kills an old lady, <laughs> I I don't lose any sympathy for him. Yeah. He kills a dog, you know? too. <laughs> it, with a dog? Yeah, it kills a dog. Yeah. And it's just there is something about the writing of this character I was very moved by. And I thought that the ending really landed for me. And in a way, even though this is number two on my technically Richard Bachman books, I mean, maybe it's because of the flashbacks. This does not feel like a Richard Bachman book to me. Really at all. Unless, again, you think about the crime that kind of riddles its way through some Bachman books, at least the idea of a Bachman book. Yeah. But that said, I still thought it was it was quite good. And that's why I've got number two. I I, I really enjoyed it. I had it number two as well. Yeah, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Flieger, you had it as number two to last on your Ooh, list. I had it number <laughs> six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really did not like this. Caffrey holds it up very high. He really well. does, yeah. He holds it up it's as like just because of the birds at the end. He loves that. Yeah. Hey, I, I do like that part. I do, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I found this to be like, I, I once the pattern was established that things were not going to work out, all the, you know, it, it was hard for me to get emotionally invested because I knew things were going to blow up in his face. Mm. I found him to be a very boring, empty vessel. That was only interesting if he was around other people who were interesting. I like the other characters that he would kind of associate himself with. I liked hearing them because he would just sort of be like, okay, uh-huh. And they'd be like, you know this? He'd be like, sure. And mm-hmm. to me, that's better executed through like Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. where at mm-hmm. least in the context of like these historical happenings, um, in terms of like the institutions, if I think of like a twinner for this in the alter universe, it would be like Cider House Rules. Ah, mm-hmm. I've always I elevate and like I love that book so much. Excuse me, and it captures sort of that feel of like institutional lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just Blaze did not work for me, and I'd rather watch like the cartoons where it's you know which way did he go, George? And that's, 
basically what this. So Mice and Men, which is basically well, yeah, this is like a sequel of Mice and Men. What if what if George died in Mice and Men? Basically, yeah, yeah. We in in the episode we definitely hit on that too. You can't ignore one or the other. But I I just didn't. The most exciting part for me was when they actually go to Boston. Oh yeah, and that's because I like like the bartender slash butcher guy. I like like the flashback on the farm a lot. You know. Look, it's a fun book. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's part of why I ranked it so high is like if I look purely at which book I would want to read again, you know, yeah. this was second to one we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but Randall, you had this dead center on your list. So you had it at number four. Yeah, I think I can't shake the idea that there's still just something a little slight about this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, but you know, you're right in that I would gladly read this before I'd reread The Regulators. Yeah. But I have well, just for the time alone. It. I mean, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's like the things that stick out to me that I really loved about regulators. Just uh, they they are an, they are more exciting to me than anything in Blaze. But I think Blaze hangs together better as a book mm-hmm. and is more readable. So I think that you know it's my own scale in some ways uh, in, into how I'm judging which one I like more than the other. And I think it's just because regulators, like, I don't know, I could see myself taking a scene from that and commissioning an artwork and putting that up in my, in my house. Whereas blaze is, is, you know, to me, just a nice little paperback novel, you know, yeah, you don't want I- a painting of them finding the wallet. In your house. <laughs> <laughs> Good section. Because he got the shit. So, yeah. Yeah, I do. I did enjoy that one a lot. It was it was fun to read, and it was surprising. It surprised me how much I yeah. enjoyed it. You know, because I had also just read Colorado Kid, which I uh, which I did not like, mm. say the least. See, so, I liked that a lot more on a second read than I did on the first one. Yeah, but well, again, it's because I was on the book episode. I think that mm. a lot of times like bumps it up for me. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, don't know. I think course- I was on the real work episode. You know, and I still. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, it's not a me. magic. It doesn't work for everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I also gave it a full um, bump up for all of the memes and the amount of oh. times that we have said Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. So I was going to say at the end of the day, no matter how we feel about it, it is Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. Yeah. Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. What are you gonna do? Um, well, speaking. Oh, okay. I do want to ask because this is, I think, could be a little interesting. Does this feel like a Bachman book? No. No. No, it no, does not. No. And I said in our book episode, and I'll say it again, it feels like a Bachman book with a King main character. So, mm-hmm. yes. I think that's no. a good way to look at it yeah. in some ways, yeah. Um. All right. Well, speaking of one that huh, maybe doesn't feel so much like a Bachman book, this is the number two on our list. 1984's Thinner is number two. And I think in our primer, we talked about this, but I think this is really interesting. King calls this the only novel of the early Bachman books with Bachman's name on the first draft, which I think is is a really interesting distinction. Mm-hmm. So from StephenKing.com, Billy, I'm sorry, Billy Hallett commits vehicular homicide when his lack of attention to driving re- from a blowjob results in the death of an <laughs> old lady on the street. <laughs> Overweight Hallett is a lawyer with connections, though, and gets off with a slap on the wrist. After his trial, a gypsy curses him with the single word thinner. Halleck begins to lose weight uncontrollably and must pursue the band of, I'm sorry, I should say Romanis, who are responsible for his dwindling condition. 
So we all ranked this one pretty high, but Randall, you had it at number two. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a thinner fan. I yeah. think it's it's a fun, nasty little book. Uh and I remember it it does drag a little bit in the in the kind of uh I don't know if I'm thinking like the third quarter. Mm-hmm. I remember that's when it drags a little bit, especially with with Janelli, who yeah. I still think is kind of a fun character. But it's because it's, it's Fat Tony, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love yeah. the leather jacket. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm conflating <laughs> with the movie, but I just think it's a really fun, like, kind of uh, I don't know, I like delicious little premise. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's an idea that he probably had a lot of fun with. Like, I don't know, it's one of those. Those uh, kind of elevator pitches that I think yeah. is really neat. And honestly, it's it's not even the thinner that creeps me out that I think about a lot. It's like the guy who becomes a lizard and the guy yeah. who um, gets covered Bible. in like boils and shit. Yeah. Ugh, God, it's so nasty. Yeah. And so I don't know. I appreciate King when he's in his little uh, – his little stinker phase. And I think there's some real stinker vibes in this book, like where he's just kind of having fun, which is, I think what he kind of interpreted as Bachman mm-hmm. in here. But again, I don't, I think Bachman is not something you can approximate. I think it's something you have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> just Bachman being Bachman, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a new meme. It, it mean. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Discord. Are you on it now? Um, and Flieger, you had this at number three on your list. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot with the Randall said. Like, I think this is a nasty little morsel. Um, it to me, this is almost like the epitome of Bachman. Like, mm-hmm. I think this probably, although Running Man is the first one that came to my head. I think if you were going to describe Bachman, thinner is a book to give someone who's never read it before. I'd be like, this to me communicates exactly what's going on. But going back to my theory too, that it's hard to separate these from other media. In the book, I believe it's a hand job, but in the movie, it's a blow job. Oh. But in my mind, too, I recalled it as a blow job because I think it's so hard to separate. And I actually like the film as well for this. I do, too. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those films that the trailer was everywhere. And it would be like, I kind of sit in there. And me and my friends would just do that to each other on the school bus. <laughs> I would I would do the, um. I would like, my, my family would like to invite you over for dinner. <laughs> We would, we would really just we would put a little spin on it. You're a loser, and I'm the wiener. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not but, kidding. That's exactly. And and I think we like, were again, so cool. with the characters not being likable. Like I have no problem with the characters not likable. That really yeah. doesn't has never thrown me off. And yeah, he is like a really bad person. And people are like, well, is there redemption at the end when he eats the pie himself? Or is it like, no? I think that's no. just like justice in a way. Like, right. Yeah. Because he was going to give it to someone else, right? He was going to pass it along, and then by some twi- you know, and he, I believe he wanted to give the pie to his wife, or at least he debated it. Yeah, just not his, his daughter. Child eat it. Yeah. yeah, his daughter. Well, so that's I, the I, whole I think that's a fun, it's a fun way to end it. And also with the the idea of like food tying into it, whereas, you know, he's eating and he can't gain weight. And then the final thing is him eating and he's going to waste yeah. away to nothing. Yeah. Do you well, think like- that the, the traveling clan was thinking like, huh, justice? <laughs> what? Do we do we weigh him down with something or the right. scales? Scales, scales of justice. <laughs> scales. Not alligator scales. That's nope. for the other guy. No, no. Yeah. Well, Justin, you already you uh, also had this at number three. I'm not kidding. I know at least two of you have said the word nasty. My first bullet point is this is a nasty piece <laughs> nasty of work. Nasty little novel. <laughs> and you know, look, I love this. I I can love the sentimental like Blaze, but I can also love the real nasty shit. Mm. And, and thinner is a nasty. Nasty book. I was thinking about this. Is this the first case, excluding short stories, of Stephen King body horror mm. at this point in his career? Well, well 
I am the short door- stories. There's body horror. Like yeah, like I, I was saying excluding that, like, like that. not I am the doorway, oh, like excluding um, that. I think this might be the first real focus on body horror that he had at this point in his career. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think it's it's a gross book, and I think he set up for it to be a gross book, and he succeeds in that regard. I think it's you can say it's problematic, absolutely. Um, you can also say it's entertaining, absolutely, and I yeah. think both can be true. And it's funny because I remember King said that he thinks Needful Things is kind of a dark comedy. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I can see that, but this feels much more like a dark comedy yeah. than Needful Things does. Mm-hmm. And Randall, no joke, the same thing you said. I think that the penultimate sequence of the novel with Janelli, the whole back and forth with tracking down yeah. the, the, the tribe, it gets the exhausting. Clan, it gets exhausting, but the finale is really, really yeah. good. So we nasty, we nasty yeah. boys, nasty. Yeah, Jen, <laughs> what about you? Call me Brian Knobs, are you nasty? I'm a nasty. Am boy, I nasty? Yeah. yeah, Jen, if you nasty. Well, I had this actually the lowest of all of this. I had it at wow at four, just at four though. Oh, so just I thought you meant of everything. Oh no, 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 no. I just had it the lowest of the four of us. And you know what? I really think the reason is because it's just such a nasty little story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I yeah. do enjoy it, and I agree with everything you're saying. I think. Um, like I was saying, covering things for the book episode sometimes bumps it up. We covered this one on psychoanalysis for body dysmorphia, not the mm. book, the movie. And it yeah. just, it became a little harder for me to overlook some of the problematic stuff with the story. Um, and the scales, <laughs> the scales of justice started tipping a little bit more in the dislike column. But I agree with you. It is, it is gross. It is, it's fun. It's nasty. And like, it's like, getting your mean out in a safe mm-hmm. way you know and, and it's fun to read that but some of the meanness goes just a little further than I feel comfortable with now you know what I mean I don't want to be like that like wet blanket on anything it's just you know you're not the Barton George Dawes of the exactly. get it. Yeah. <laughs> right 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 yeah um but I, I it is a lot of fun and it like it doesn't really mess around even the part with um Joe Montaigne I, who will always be Janelli to <laughs> oh, me oh I always Janelli I the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like the part where he's What's there's the truck? hole through his hand with the ball mm. bearing I think that's interesting you know um so yeah that's where I had it um and okay well so do we feel like this is a Bachman book no like, think- you said yes I said the epitome. Yeah. I, 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 when you asked us, what book do we think of? I said thinner. Yeah. But again, it's because when I remember seeing this book as a five or six year old mm-hmm. and I'm not understanding what the concept of a pseudonym was. Mm-hmm. And so for years and years and years, I also thought that this was the only Bachman book until I was probably a teenager. Yeah. So mm-hmm. psychologically, I'm not saying it's, it's right, but I'm just saying for me, when I think of Richard Bachman, I think of thinner. I, I yeah. think of little baby Justin. It's like, Papa, what Papa. is a pen name? I'm like, <laughs> one day you'll learn something. I'm like, no, I it's Baron Stan Bears. <laughs> what Papa? Yeah, see, this is, this is not a Bachman book for me because I think I've, in my definition of Bachman, there there is dystopia, but there is not supernatural, you know? That's the complicated so, thing, yeah. Yeah, so I think, again, it's... A, that's me like having a hard line rule, which I really don't. For me, it's a scale. I think there are definitely Bachman aspects to it. But I think I like I said earlier, I don't think you can I don't think you can uh, I don't think you can like manifest Bachman. I think you have to be Bachman. You're yeah. kind of right, because I guess there's only two. It would be regulators and thinner that have magical mm-hmm. 
realism, right? Yeah. Yeah, and those were the ones yeah. he wrote, you know, self-aware Later. about the idea that he was Bachman. I just think I think Thinner to me is a Stephen King short story stretched to novel length. Mm. Uh, and but you know, but the thing is, I I totally see what you're saying too, Flieger. It's but I, like, I, I, I yeah. But I think like all of these are short stories stretched to novel. Like I think all of these would be better served. Except for number one on the list, I would say. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. Well, and um, oh, I lost my train of thought when I started thinking how excited I am to get to number one. Probably not super uh, surprising. This was a unanimous. We all had this at number one on our list. Yay. 19 roadwork yeah exactly well you know everybody if you're good at what if we did just talk about roadwork again that'd be hilarious let's run run it back (laughs) so if you're good at deductive logic you probably have already guessed that our number one on the list is the long walk 1979 from stephenking.com in the near future where america has become a police state 100 boys are selected to enter an annual contest where the winner will be awarded whatever he wants for the rest of his life the game is simple. Maintain a steady walking pace of four miles per hour without stopping. Three warnings and you're out permanently. Um, so we all had this at number one. Um, mm. Justin, what do you think about this book that makes it, us love it so much? I mean, sometimes it's as simple as the basic plot. I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a bit of a walker myself. And, <laughs> you know, that only adds to the tension. Mm-hmm. And... I'll go walk for a couple hours and my feet are killing me and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm relaxing on the couch. It's just the never ending walk, the long walk of it all yeah. that really just bothers me as you're reading it. Despite other things happening in the book, all I can think about is just the walking and the walking and the walking and the blisters and the shoes breaking down and not packing correctly. And then you're going to be killed if you fuck up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's a simple plot in extraordinary circumstances that King does really well. And this yeah. is an instance of that. Well, that's and, just to start. A lot of other people speak, but there's some other stuff. But I mean, yeah. Well, and I your really legs are about a foot longer than mine, too. And so no, I'm walking I mean, on the treadmill sometimes and I'm like, geez, four miles an hour. That's really fast that's a for a little shorty like me. So it's um, tough. Randall, what about you? For me, it's the ensemble. It's uh, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I think King writes ensembles and so well. And this was a great opportunity to just throw a bunch of really diverse interesting personalities together Mm -hmm. and i think one of the best things i can say about the long walk in retrospect is i haven't you know i reread it for the podcast before that when i was in high school i probably read this twice two or three times because i really liked it and so what always stuck out to me was i remember so many of the characters like Mm -hmm. just the archetypal things that they represented but they they went beyond just the archetypal aspects of them like there was so many different uh, layers to each of these characters and it's just such an easy vessel by which to explore these characters because they're all stuck in this one place they're all walking together they all have the same goal they all know only one of them's gonna live so mm-hmm. all of their interactions are touched by that and they are at once pit against each other but drawn together as comrades even though they are competing against each other and that dynamic is really interesting and it's Mm -hmm. really epitomized through ray garrity and um mcvries i can't remember his first name um they are okay yeah they're like the two main characters and they are they have this this like great combative relationship where Mm -hmm. they get really close and then they something repels them because they are you know destined to be repelled and and taken away but they keep drawing closer and getting pulled away drawn closer and pulled away and there's so many themes buried in there which is about male friendship but also homoeroticism sexuality like all of these things are being explored 
uh, through this, you know, through all of these different conversations, interactions, and dynamics. And there's just so many, like, great characters. And I feel like there's really not a wasted character in this book, which is so impressive. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's my thought. I agree. Well, and Flieger, you said that you think most of these are short stories stretched out except for this one. Yeah, this one, I could have gone more. I, I think mm-hmm. this, you know, and the fact that he does keep on walking, right? There's so much right. more to walk. Um, so I, I grew up doing like track and cross country mm-hmm. and like I played center mid in soccer. So I was used to doing big distances. So I love that th- there's a feeling you only get when you're past like mile 10 that mm-hmm. it's just like until you've been there, you like it's a different it's a, I never got the runner's high per se. But the Randall talking about sort of like the relationships between the guys, like you can empathize and sympathize with the person who's going through it with you as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's the unique uh, sensation, especially too when you're like that age and your body is just in good shape. You know, you don't have the injuries or age creeping up on you. Mm-hmm. And it feels like sometimes you can just keep on going. Yeah. Um, so I, I had not read this until the podcast. Um, you know, I was trying to keep along with it. And I was just blown away. I, I did not know much going into this. I thought it was going to be something completely different. Uh, it, it twins a little bit for me with Running Man, not just the title. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, definitely. sort of game show. And like I said, the intro, I think a lot of Bachman has to have like a countdown or some sort of timer. There has to be stakes. And I think this is a great example. Of, you know, you have to keep going or you will be shot. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, there were these professors that retired and they walked from like the tip of South America all the way up North America, crossed into Russia and Asia and walked to like France. And I just thought, I'm like, that makes so much sense. You, you know, some people will be like, that's a wasted life. I'm like, no, I think it'd be great to just walk and see everything, not in a Absolutely. car, not in a bullet train, but just walk and see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of walking, I, they start in, is it Maine they started yeah. in, right? Mm-hmm. But just the, the distances that they cover, it's just like, that would be so impressive to, to just gradually see the landscape change and it's all by your own locomotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without I'll the threat too, of being killed. I mean, that'd be well, yeah. <laughs> much without more the tickets, Yeah. I'll I'll say too, I think it's out of the, at least the first four Bachman books, it's the best at showing and not telling in terms of its themes. Uh, Because, you know, this book was in many ways a response to the draft, like the Vietnam and Mm -hmm. and the idea of being drafted into this thing where you don't even really know what you're going for. You're, you're aiming to, because you know what, what the prize is, you're like, granted anything you want i mm-hmm. feel like it's purposefully almost amorphous or vague which yeah. is kind of the benefit of of leaving war with you know your head still screwed on mm-hmm. is uh is like okay well what did i do like did i really help save the country or did i just you know i don't i don't need to get into the, the war stuff but there is i think king was really concerned with the idea of like what is it people are dying for mm-hmm. and he was also interested in the bonds that form between people when they go to war i mean these these guys who meet each other and are like hey you could very much end up dead in a ditch next to me that is a interesting dynamic so i think in terms of being a comment on that without being overly explicit without indulging in in uh too much i think uh, overwhelming anger. That's what I think this book accomplishes the most. Because there's definitely anger here, but it's not as pronounced, I think, as the other ones. Yeah, because it's, it's more. It's because it's more about character. Yeah, right. it's more confusion too. It's it's mm-hmm. just what what you know. What do I do? And you're trying to comprehend an incomprehensible situation. 
Yeah. Well, it's a lot of just you got to keep going, you know, and there's only so much energy you can spend on your anger when you just have to keep going through the days or through the miles or through the steps. And I just re-listened to this this week um, because it had been a long time. And there were a couple of things that I remembered, like the big events, like what happens at the end. I remembered how it begins. I remember a couple of key deaths. I remember the part with the watermelons. And I remember like the part with, uh, you know, when he the guy tries to hook up with the girl and gets blue balls and dies. But like what surprised me is how much in between there is that's so interesting, you know, and it's like the epitome of the point is the journey not the destination because it's really just all of these characters working through things and trying to figure things out and and like reckoning with not understanding it like I was really fascinated by the reasons they all did it and how you know they don't they think they know but once you get on the road like it seems really far away and it's just Mm -hmm. it's just a really really touching novel and part of what I love about it is that anger, but it doesn't feel like a toxic kind of anger. Like they don't feel like they see themselves as victims, even though they are the ones who are actually, they're all going to die except for one. So they are probably the clearest cut victims in any of the early Bachman books. But I also always see, and I said this on our primer, I always see the cast of Friday Night Lights when I read this book with Saracen as Garrity because he's my, he's my QB one. So that bumps it up in my mind also um like main, main forever main forever yeah <laughs> main forever no, I get to that. <laughs> uh anything else we want to say about this one i uh it's a couple things I, I think that there's also obviously there's a brutality and even mm-hmm. like you mentioned some of the sexuality um like literally going up to people and like trying to have sex with them because you know they all know yeah but it's kind of it's softened because everything has a tinge of sadness to it. Everything mm-hmm. does in the book. Yeah. The violence, the sex, everything's got this overwhelming sadness to it. Because like we know, you know? Yeah. they're all going to die. And I, I think about the ending to this book just as much as I do with any other Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. I mean, that ending is great. It really yeah. is. It is mm-hmm. great. And I'll say that I think this is the second best three book run in the King canon. Mm. And which ones are those? I think the stand, the long walk, and the dead zone. Yeah, in a row. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, and I think for me, the best is it drawing of the three in misery. That's pretty, pretty good too. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, and I, I love like a uh, gamified thing. I know Justin's that way as well. I think we're the only two that really follow sports. Yeah, amongst all of our podcast buddies, <laughs> but I like the idea of like rules being set, and then how do you gamify that? You know, yep. how do you how do you survive within that? And I think that's why we like to keep lists in like the completionism is a game in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. some sort of external motivator. So the, when they lay out the rules of the game, I'm like, this is great. I know where I'm at. And now I try to think, how would I turn these rules to my advantage? Well, they got um, people trying to psych out other people. Exactly. Going psychological with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And and I think like this has such an impact on even things like Battle Royale and mm-hmm. The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. I think it's very I, hard for those to exist without. I think this. Hunger Games, like Suzanne Collins, I think even name checked this. Yeah, I would not be surprprised, yeah, at all, because yeah. it really is like it's that it's that early competition. And we've always done some form of this throughout history, right? So I like that it's like this totalitarian regime, and they're like, you have to have the lottery, right? You have to have the blood sacrifice. and mm-hmm. it has to exist in some way. And I just I'd never seen it put like this. It's just like yeah. a pure endurance test. I think, yeah. you know, take away the quality. I think we all had this at number one, right? Yeah. 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 Unanimous. Of all the novels 
and stories that have not been made into movies. I don't understand how this hasn't been done. I know. It's not like there's a budget. It's just people walking. I, I don't understand. Yeah. It's very I've strange. Talked, when I interviewed Frank Darabont, I asked him about this because he had the option on it for yeah. many years. And he said that it was one of those where he always wanted to make it, but it like I think Walking Dead honestly just got in the way. And mm. that's what completely Ugh. broke his spirit. Uh <laughs> Uh, and now he, you know, he's living large. And then I think, it, yeah, it became outside of, yeah. So it became the long the Walking Dead. <laughs> well, then the um, think, the director of Autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. Oh, Anthony so Pasto, Andre. Ogre. Yeah, Andre. Ogre, yeah, um, yeah. So when I talked to Darabont, he basically said that he eventually just gave up the option because he knew it was never going to happen. And then he said he read a spec script. He wasn't sure if it was James Vanderbilt's, uh, but James Vanderbilt has i think he wrote it on spec himself and i think it has made the rounds and i got the vibe that it was that script and mm -hmm. that i'm not sure if that's the one andre overdahl was going to make i'm pretty sure it was mm -hmm. and yeah. uh yeah and uh but unfortunately we've not heard anything about it really so and but andre overdahl has a mo new movie coming out this year that dracula on a ship movie mm -hmm. and um so i'm hoping maybe the next one is that yeah. so I mean, yeah we'll see, fingers crossed you know, you know i feel just... like it's a deceptively difficult because your script has to be just killer you know because mm -hmm. yeah. i mean it seems like the, the reason to approach this is because it's simple it's just walking you know but then that's also like how easily that could get boring like if you're yeah. but you get the out of oh, if you can do as many flashbacks as you that's want what I was gonna say, well, that's like true, yeah. sequences what if they stretched it out and we introduce every character through flashbacks and uh, <laughs> isn't there, this, is, this is a great <laughs> example of just do the movie don't do the six-part miniseries <laughs> i don't need that I, I need like a nice right. 90 100 minute then, movie or something and this like, could be the new lost you it know? could be oh, the god. new lost oh, hey oh, i would watch it lost isn't there at the end though it's your long form miniseries but at the end, doesn't he see like a dark figure? And I've always thought that would be possibly like flag or something. Yeah. I remember we talked about and that in the episode. People yeah. talked about that. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. it twins over into like, yeah, the man in the dress, you know, I can't yeah. do the quote right now, but the gunslinger following, right? And mm -hmm. it's well, there are right. flags along the road also, like flags oh, yeah. lining mm -hmm. the Kings road. Dominion. So. And Randall had read it. <laughs> That's right. It was <laughs> um, Well, so that was our number one. And that's it for this episode and this list and ranking. Huge thanks to our esteemed panel of Bach men. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh. Bach boys. Um, Bach boys. Is Bach boys being Bach boys? <laughs> I got to have to sub-zero myself out after that lame dad joke. Um, but oh. listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I've made many dumb jokes on this pod. It's not like it's the first time. Um, anything we want to plug? Justin, what's coming up with Halloweenies? Halloweenies, you know, we've taken a, a brief uh, exit to cover the newest Scream and the newest Evil Dead film. But in May, we will be right back in the Chucky wagon. Oh, uh, it'll be all on... things. We're going to be doing Child's Play 3 mm. in May. The best be, one. Uh, <laughs> arguably the best <laughs> one. <laughs> let's put, let's spread it out there. <laughs> Unbelie underrated. No, we'll be Unbelievable. doing. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbeatable. We'll be doing uh, Child's Play for the rest of the year. So we're looking forward to, to getting back on that. I do, I do enjoy that franchise. There's a lot to talk about. So there nice. you go. Um, and as for the losers, we've got some exciting things coming up in May. We're still kind of working through the schedule. But our next book is going to be Duma Key, which... We're finally at Duma Key. I have yes. not read it. I'm looking forward to reading Ooh, along. I love it. I'm excited it's to read long. it. It's very long. It is very long, yeah. And 
so I, I'm going to have to start reading it as soon as we uh, say goodbye. Um, but lots of other fun stuff coming up in May. So stay tuned uh, to the socials for that. And that is at Losers Club Pod. I hope I got that right. But until then, we'll be Bach. See, there it is. We'll mm, be Bach. <laughs> I'll be Bach. <laughs> and we'll be seeing you over long, long days. days and This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Is Blaze being blazed?